Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host for today, Robbie Martin. If you didn't already hear, Abby's going to be on maternity leave for at least a couple months. She just had her first child. Congratulations, Abby and Mike. Love you guys. So if you're listening, hope everything is good out there. And uh, today we have a great guest, definitely one of my favorite guests on Media Roots Radio. Leslie Lee, the co-host of the Struggle Session podcast. Struggle Session, if you haven't already checked it out, uh, is an excellent, very unique podcast that very much shares my political views. And it's also a podcast that's mostly about culture. There are not very many podcasts about culture that actually have really good politics. So I highly recommend checking it out. And so today we're going to talk about the Black Lives Matter protests that have exploded again. We're going to talk a little bit about the pandemic, um, but just the whole social climate right now in general. So yeah, let's just get right into it. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. Uh, thank you so much for having me back, Robbie. I'm very uh, happy to be back. I, as I've told you many times, this is my favorite podcast, so I love uh, the chance to be on it. Well, I appreciate your very complimentary words, and uh, yeah, you're one of our favorite guests, so it's really exciting to have you on. And you're also going to be on next month as well. So uh, if you like Leslie's previous appearances, he's going to be uh, yeah, he's going to be kind of a semi regular guests while Abby is on maternity leave. I'm really excited about that. And we haven't really spoken, you know, over the telephone or Skype or anything since all this crap has been happening, Leslie. And by crap, I mean the global pandemic. So I guess before we move on to, you know, the most pressing issue right now, and it almost seems strange to say that because the COVID-19 pandemic seemed like, you know, it was going to be like 109 11s all rolled into one. But it's almost sort of like in the distance right now. But, but, you know, obviously the main thing happening right now is the resurgence sort of of these massive Black Lives Matter protests. For, before we go to that, um, I just wanted to ask you how you and your family were doing on a personal and just emotional level during this extremely bizarre and frankly really stressful time. And of course, I'm talking about the COVID-19 pandemic that we've been living under for the past almost four months. So how is it going for you? How, like what, what are, what have things been like for you? I mean, it, I'm in, I'm in a better position than most people, our, our family. Luckily, luckily I was, I was already working from home and my wife was able uh, to work from home as well. So financially, aside from the fact that a lot of our, you know, listeners and supporters unfortunately had to drop out because they were losing their jobs, obviously. Um, and just uh, for the record, if anybody is interested in uh, getting the bonus episodes to my show, Struggle Session, you can get them at patreon.com slash struggle session. But if you can't afford them, please just send me a message or a DM or an email and we'll get you um, the bonus episodes at, at no charge whatsoever. Because I know a lot of people are, uh, you know, have lost their jobs, unfortunately. So my wife and I, we were very fortunate in that respect. We were, we were able to still uh, work and work from home and uh, keep things going that in that in uh in that respect um it is you know stressful is is different not you know being able to go and see my uh extended family as much as i like my sister had just moved out of the state like just before this started um so it, it 
I mean, it, it's a lot. It's been, you know, it's just, it sucks kind of just having to, I, it's not like I went out a ton, but like never having the option to like go to a concert, you know, like that's kind of the kind of sort of thing I miss maybe once or twice every couple of months being able to see a show. But that's so minor compared to the suffering that other people are dealing with. So I consider myself, you know, very fortunate that I was already in a position where I could uh, continue to work from home and I didn't have to worry about not being able to afford my rent or uh, even worse, being one of those poor people who, you know, lose their job uh, or worried about paying for rent are waiting for the Democrats that they vote for and pro- have promised to help them and, and save them and watch them basically uh, do nothing uh, for them. So uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate compared to so many people out there. So I really don't have any uh, complaints except for very uh, minor ones. Okay. Not to totally go off on a completely unrelated tangent for a second, but before we move on to the rest of the podcast, can you tell me the name of that African clothing that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are wearing in those photos (laughs) before it is just so I can mention it later with uh, actually like label it properly. So so it's called it's called Kente cloth. I, okay. I actually Kente did not know the name until they wore it. I, obviously, I am black. I have seen it all my life. We would just call it a, like a African fabric or a, a African patterns. That African cloth. You see it in like dashikis and a, a, other things that just you know are about. It, it does have a specific name. Um, it's uh, a, it comes from uh, Ghana, uh, but yeah, the technical name for it is uh, Kente cloth and i it's seeing that it's it was like a skit it was like a bit you could not like I mean, i'm not the first person to say this like an snl sketch like or a mad, a mad tv sketch if they had done this people would have thought no this is too over the top this would never happen but it did happen in in real life it wasn't veep it wasn't some kind of parody they really did put these put the kente cloth on and uh, do a kneel of solidarity for some bizarre reason. Like it's after, and again, this is like after they basically have abandoned so many black people, not just for years, for decades, um, to uh, to austerity measures, to the police, to uh, right wing governments in the South. Uh, now most of the uprisings are happening in blue cities, blue states. But it's also uh, this is something because I'm from Louisiana. I always point out that the reason those states are red is because, for the most part, the Democratic Party has just abandoned them and given up so many seats. They don't. The Democratic Party does not even run for Republicans run unopposed uh, in so many of these in these little county and uh, uh, little local uh, seats. So. Seeing them, you know, doing this very, very perform this performance, this performance of humility towards black people when they do nothing, absolutely, they do absolutely nothing for us was uh, embarrassing, sad, rage inducing, and horrible, 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 horrible. I hate it. Save your outrage about it for a little later because we're definitely going to dive way into the whole co optation or attempted co optation of this because you did a really good podcast about that recently or you had a section about it um, yeah we yeah, just recently yeah. posted a video or a, a section from a, a specifically about de, de Ray, i think is that how you pronounce his name yeah de Ray. yeah yes. 
we're going to spend most of the time on the podcast talking about that. But I just I haven't really had a chance to talk to anyone really besides Abby, um, you know, a few other guests I've had on the podcast about sort of this pandemic situation. But like, just like for me personally, you know, I was like really like the fear really, really hit me at first. I mean, I was wiping down my groceries. I was barely leaving the house at all. I, I was I was pretty afraid. And I don't know if it's just the psychological shock has worn off or if it's because the authorities or, you know, the health authorities are talking differently about it now. But like I'm I feel just a lot less concerned about it now. I, I'm just wondering if you have gone through anything like that or like if you were as terrified as I was, like were you were you wiping down your groceries? Like did you stop doing that? So I was never terrified, but I did do that because I was just thought that was the thing you were supposed to personally. Like I, I wasn't worried about it because like for me, like the concern was never getting it because I mean, this is a silly thing to date, but I think that, you know, on a, on a certain level, I think that, oh, well, if I get it, I'll probably be okay. And I'm not really worried about myself getting it. Now I'm worried about my wife getting it. I'm worried about passing it on to other people. I'm worried about if I go over and see my mom and passing it on to her, uh, God forbid, that sort of thing I'm worried about, but I'm not personally worried about myself uh getting it but i am careful i'm like i still wear the mask i still wipe down uh my stuff but and i do like hate it and it's annoying but i still am fairly i try to be fairly diligent about that you know as a just in case but it's i I guess it's not an emotional thing for me to do it's more of like a intellectual thing like i know this is the thing i'm supposed to do so i might as well uh go ahead and do it. It's like the, like brushing your teeth every day. Yeah. Um, I do it not because I think like the next day my teeth might rot and fall out of my mouth. I do it because I get, it's, a, it's a thing you're supposed to do, you know. And so I, I am sticking with it. But I do have to say like most people in where I, I live, which is kind of like a mostly affluent suburb. I live in apartments now, but um, but like and live here long term. A lot of the people who live in my apartments are like millionaires who are having like their houses built. So they like take on like a three month lease for like $4,000 a month here or something like crazy because they can't afford it. And they have, they never really took it seriously. And as soon as the authorities kind of let up a little bit, like everyone's out, everyone's at restaurants, every, no one has a mask on. No one. I'm the, wow. oh, I'm like the only person I see because, uh, not just in my complex because there's a shopping center in the area. If you've been in the suburbs, you know the deal. They build all these, they build the luxury condos and they build, build the two expensive apartments and then they build a little ugly shopping center uh, near there. And we have the ugly, and people come into the ugly shopping center and none of them have masks. They bring their whole families, all their kids, all five of their kids, none of them have masks. They're running around. And no one really uh, is taking it seriously anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think maybe here in California, people are just in the Bay Area, people are taking it a little more seriously. Like, I still see a lot of people wearing masks, but I still, I see a lot of people like doing like outdoor activities now with not really social distancing anymore. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. And I, I mean, I'll, I'm fully acknowledging that I like went. I definitely went like full apocalyptic mode in my in my mind, and uh, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's great that you're able to keep a lev more level head than me. Did you have any friends that were kind of going into apocalyptic mode like I was? Just yeah, like, I had psychologically. Yeah, yeah, I had some people who thought that the guidance was like you were literally not allowed to leave out your front door. And like I have a dog, I have to walk my dog three, uh, two, three times a day. And like I, I, like some people like really thought that that is what they. Some of my friends really thought that you're not supposed to like step out your front door for any reason, which it was never really like the guidance. But they, or, but they thought that I understand. Like some people were, you know, very scared about you know getting sick and you know dying because it is a real thing. It is is not you know something to take uh lightly and i did have you know a, a few people i knew online who were like didn't take it seriously but then uh, on the other hand like my uncle who is old who is a much older gentleman you know had, had just getting over like cancer he's like driving himself around and still going around and doing stuff until my mom was able to yell at him and tell him to stay home uh thankfully but yeah it's just, you know, some people just reacted to this situation in ways that were vastly unpredictable and their mood has changed about it. Some people like who took it very seriously, like, you know, like now like are kind of over it and don't care, which is a natural thing. I think like I know I know somebody who was like very, very, very intense on it. And now they're talking about like, oh, maybe it will open up. I'll be able to take a vacation now. And it's like you just two a month ago you were losing it but yeah i, I think it's great it, it, it this grinds kind of grinds people down and like for the most part people are just kind of over it like even like well-meaning people who understand how serious this is who who like don't want to hurt get sick or get other people sick are still feel at certain point feel like all right this is enough like i i am just gonna you know try to kind of live my life if i can i'm just tired of this and it's understandable because it can wear you down it is very stressful like we're it's not we're not used to having to be like so diligent about these things with no like reward other than uh it, it with no immediate reward like you don't get anything for doing this and for doing it the right way you don't get anything for cleaning the groceries it just like takes a long time and stuff. <laughs> yeah yeah well i i think yeah it's hard to say i mean i'm honestly still confused like is there going to be another spike of this is it you know are is a lot of this propaganda just to reopen the economy now like I am honestly thrown for a loop, and I really don't know where I stand on that specifically. So I mean, it's so hard because it's like what? What now? We trust? <laughs> like where? Wh who are we trusting to tell us to tell us the truth? Yeah, we can't trust it. all. Of, I mean, this is. I mean, a lot of people have talked about this. this is kind of revealed like how useless all our institutions are. Like if we had a functioning like world if we had built our world around something that made sense like first of all we may may have been able to contain this uh very early on if we weren't so concerned with keeping the economy running for like months after this outbreak first started if we had a system built upon like okay we have this disease now we need to put all our resources towards you know finding a vaccine of, of some sorts 
I think in a world that's not just about the profit motive, that is something that could happen faster and better. And and we didn't have to worry about someone, a company, a pharma company getting the vaccine and then saying it costs $1,000, you know, a shot. I'm concerned too. I mean, and maybe I shouldn't be this concerned about this, but like, it just seems like all these pandemic experts and epidemiologists depending on how much they had overhyped this situation, I feel like it's going to really sort of hurt the scientific community in general moving forward. I mean, it even makes people like me be more skeptical of these sort of scientific authorities now moving forward when I normally wouldn't have been in the past. And I'm just wondering if that's, I mean, that can't possibly be a good thing, but I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Cause conservatives already, you know, they already don't believe in evolution and yeah. climate change, but I mean, and they already knee jerk reacted, not believing this. And it's kind of painful to say that, you know, that knee jerk reaction may have been more right than more wrong in some ways. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just really con- conflicted. So what do, yeah. how do you feel? I, I mean, I don't know if it, the knee-jerk reaction is necessarily <laughs> right, but it's, it, it will be tolerable and it might seem right to a lot of people who, if like, I mean, it's like the we, we talk about how like how few people are in the military, how few people actually know people are in the military. And so we can have a war that lasts for 15, 20 years and it doesn't affect anyone. And so nobody in America cares. I think this COVID thing is going to be similar because a lot, a lot of people, of course, have died. But and we, you might, and but not everyone is personally affected by it. Like the the number of and the and a lot of and half the ones who are personally affected by it are like on the right and have a reason to like deny it and say, oh yeah, grandma was you know old and sick anyway. So you know what what's the we don't have to destroy the economy for that. My, I love my grandmother, but you know she wouldn't have wanted this. That that, that sort of crap. Like I think it, it, it's it's not gonna be so bad that people have to admit that they were wrong. Is the thing, and it's not gonna be so bad that the right that you're gonna be able to d- dismiss the right when they say, "Oh, people overhyped it." Because a lot of people, even reasonable people, will, are probably feeling like. Hey, you know what? This thing is not as bad as people said. I, you know, I see people going out all the all the time. Uh, nobody I know is getting sick. I, I, and a, a, another big thing is like the closing of the school, closing of the schools, closing of daycare has made is like a really like inconvenient thing for a, a lot of people. Even though it's the, obviously the right thing to do. Like they have a reason and a motive. They they have a you know it's motivated reasoning at this point to say you know what it's not that bad. Um, I need my children to be able to go to school. You know, of course, because not even a supplemental check would necessarily fix that solution. You can't hire yeah. a babysitter right now, so the only solution to that is open up the schools again. <laughs> yeah, know? and like so or open many parents day camp or whatever the heck. Yeah, and so many parents, you know, are like very upset about it and want the want the schools like open like now. And certainly, when the fall comes, they they're going to want them open unless it actually gets to literally apocalyptic levels. Which right now it doesn't look like it's uh, is going to get to apocalyptic levels. It's not going to get to the level where people, as I said, like where people have to admit that they're wrong. It's not going to get to the point where people can't do denialism 
about this now i it does make and it also and like you're concerned about this maybe being like a boy who cried feeling like a boy who cried wolf situation because when the next pandemic or the next thing where scientists tell us we have to make these sacrifices like people might just ignore it like hey you were wrong about covid even if they were right about covid like it's not gonna be it doesn't look right now that it's gonna be so bad that people will have to really acknowledge it i i've said this from the start like Unless it actually is the apocalypse, we will get to November and Trump will probably and and people who like Trump and a lot of people who maybe are in the kind of middle or center will say, you know what, like almost no one I knew died. So I guess he handled it pretty well. Like, yeah. <laughs> like the world has not ended uh, like we all thought it was. So I guess that was Trump's doing. I guess he uh, did what he was supposed to do. It's kind of remarkable in a way. Um, that it can end up that way for him. There's other issues to get into about how the Democrats had just completely revealed themselves during this situation, but we're going to have a chance to talk about them in a little bit. Leslie, did you grow up in Louisiana? Uh, yes, I did. Born and raised. I lived there until I was well, in my um, late tw- uh, late mid to late 20s, yeah. I, I don't even think I really asked you about how you became you know, politically active and you know, became so political over time was there a particular event in your upbringing where your parents political like how did that happen for you yeah I, so it's just the story i always tell and the, my earliest political memory i think besides the jesse jackson the the dnc where and and I, i'm not sure where maybe this was after because i remember when jesse jesse jackson was running for president and my parents being upset that he didn't get the nomination um, but but I think the earliest I remember like talking about politics with people, and this is with my little friends. We were in gifted, so we were all fucking nerds and paying attention to politics in like fourth grade. Uh, <laughs> uh, was you know when David Duke was running uh, for governor, um, and I remember like and when you're you know a little black boy and a former Klansman is like in the runoff for the governor's election you kind of that kind of makes it you realize like that politics is important at a very very uh young age like that does affect you like i i I remember it so 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 clearly like just like looking at this with like kind of horror like what the fuck how is it clan i thought the clan was bad how is he running for government almost like and getting to the runoff uh as a governor in my state. And so that always like ingrained in me, like, you know, politics, that that's a thing. <laughs> that's the thing you have to pay attention to is that. So that was my earliest, uh, earliest thing. And it's, it's worth noting that the guy who defeated him, Edwin Edwards, the Democrat, it was a straight up like criminal, <laughs> like a straight up, like crooked politician, like a felon, like somebody who went to prison, you know, huh. a, a str- so that would, that, that I think maybe on a more subconscious level that affected me too and let me know that the Democrats aren't really uh, worth a damn either if that's like the be- the only thing stopping a Klansman from becoming governor of a whole state. <laughs> it's funny that uh, that comes up because Slate is doing a, apparently just is doing a podcast about David Duke and his um, his political run and the, but the funny thing is, let me uh, pull up the exact thing 
uh, that I think a, a writer or editor at Slate who had something to do with this podcast posted in order to advertise the show. So I'll, I'll read this. This is from uh, Gabriel Roth, uh, who works on podcasts at Slate. He said, um, Slow Burn Season 4 launches today, exploring the rise of David Duke, the white supremacist who in 1991 seemed to be headed for the Louisiana governor's mansion. It's about how populism gains traction in American politics and how institutions can combat or accommodate it. Populism. He puts the blame on like populism and not like white supremacy and uh, like, which is just such a bizarre way to frame the rise of David Duke. Like the problem is populism. It's especially a bad idea to do it when David Duke ran in Louisiana and we so revere Huey Long, who was a actual like populist and actually, and who was assassinated and actually was not like, uh, a, a racist, a white supremacist racist, at least not, you know, for the time, certainly he was not that, that as bad on race <laughs> as a lot of other people. I, I don't want to give him too much credit now, but he, he wasn't, he was certainly was not a David Duke. And so the way to this, you know, slate obviously is, uh, anti-populist i think and the way that he conflated you know white supremacy with populism in this subtle way when he's rolling out like a podcast about david duke was very uh interesting and telling a lot of people got mad he locked his account for like a few minutes and then uh gave a tepid apology uh for it jesus christ so weird i mean just on a on a side note really quick i mean even people like um i noticed glenn greenwald and you know there's I just noticed some, there's some people in the left sphere on Twitter who seem to think Bannon is just a populist. Like they buy that about him and just take that at face value, you know, and maybe he's not as much of an overt white supremacist racist as David Duke is, but to just out, you know, I feel like just calling Bannon a populist is just giving him way too much of a kind of a rose colored glasses perception. There's, there's yeah. so many more awful things about him. Yeah, I, I deserve mentioning. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, like, what does populist mean other than like a politician or political figure that actually wants to do things that the voters want that the them mob to do? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, to them, yes, the elites, yes, it's the mob, it's the mob rule. Like, I, like, what does that even when you're like when you're painting populism as the villain? Well, who do you think should be running things? Like, I, I, I don't know what the answer is other than like a cabal of uh, elite, you know, uh, Democrats and Republicans, people on both sides who can get together in a room and sort it out for all this plebs uh, without, uh, you know, our input, really. <laughs> So you were already pretty politically aware, it sounds like, at a young age. If you if you remembered this in fourth grade, I can't say the same thing for myself. I think, I mean, I, mean, I had an awareness of like the Gulf War and how scary that felt when I was like in fourth grade. That's about all I remember. But did you, like, when did you first learn about, I guess, systematic racism in, in terms of being black, in terms of the way that police targeted black people just the Jim Crow era past slavery? Because it's not, you don't really learn about that in, in school. So like, how, when was your first exposure to that? Like, how do you remember learning that? You know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to pin it down. I mean, I, I mean, obviously I have a black family, so, and we watch TV and 
for people who don't know, TV, it was okay to be super racist on TV until about, I don't know, 2010. Um, so certainly in the, like the 80s, like there weren't even like my parents would say stuff like they like mentioned that like there aren't even black people on TV except for like BET. The reason like BET exists is because there weren't black people on any other channels. So I always had an awareness of like racism and what that what that means. I think I probably didn't learn. I probably didn't learn. Maybe I learned what being black was like fully a little bit late because my first couple of years in school uh my parents were able to send me to a uh, a, a black you know uh private school now it wasn't like they didn't ban white people but it was called martin luther king jr academy in louisiana so uh that should tell you who's gonna actually send their kids uh <laughs> to it um but yeah, so like everybody I knew at a young age was mostly was black. All the kids were, you know, blacks. But so I didn't get really exposed to, you know, spending a lot of time around white people until I got, you know, to third grade. And and um, I I did like I experienced I I like a I when I was in public school for I was in public school. Um, regular public school for one year in third grade. Then I mo got moved into the gifted program. Now, when I say gifted program, please do not associate m me with those people online who talk about uh, how traumatic uh, the gifted program is. It, I, I'm, I'm sure it's true for me as much as them. I just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but um, when I w got to the gifted program and it was like all like white, <laughs> like like every like there were only two or three other black kids in the class, and I know their names and still remember them, um, and they're still in touch with them. Like yeah, I met a lot of like racist fourth and fifth graders, like who's who would come to me and say the things that their racist racist parents would say about black people. And like the funny thing is, like they all they liked me. Like they weren't like like no one like no one almost no one ever even though picked on me for being black or they didn't pick on any of us for being black. They liked all the black kids more or less. But they would say such racist things and then be like, oh I don't mean you. You know, <laughs> like, like, because, but they're, cause they're picking up from their parents and because their little unformed brains can't process that, you know, the, you know, the niggers that their parents talk about, like, that's me too, because like they, because they liked me, you know, they enjoyed my company. They liked me. They knew I was smart. They knew I was fun. They, they, they like talking to me, but they would still say like a bunch of racist shit and I'd be like, what the fuck? And they'd be like, oh, I don't. Not talking about you, like because we're, we're they're dumb kids and they never really could like like because that's you know passed down to them and they could just could not process the fact that like I was an actual black person and black and all those black people over there that they're talking about in the abstract in a racist way are just human beings. You obviously decided to do a political podcast. And you have very strong politics. They're not like, you know, you're not like a centrist or anything. You're very convicted. How did all that sort of culminate into you decided to do a podcast? And I guess also touch on sort of how your awareness grew on police violence and police killing black people. Well, one of my early, other earliest memories was Rodney King, you know, like that was what it was like 90, 92. Like I remember that, you know, very, very, you know, clearly, you know, the riots so-called going on, like, and seeing him being beaten 
by all those damn cops for like no uh fucking reason whatsoever like i that's just it's hard to really say like when did i realize that the police were you know brutal and violent i'm I'm, i'm certainly moved to the left from like okay we need to reform we need to fight this we need to fix this a general distrust for police into a like we need to get rid of this you know i certainly moved to the left on that but that's just because you know you don't it takes a you don't get those options when you're learning from tv or anything like that they don't they don't really present the abolishing the police uh option on on on, you know regular tv uh or in your uh school textbooks or anything like that but uh, you know i've it's always been like a concern for me and like i the thing that i always have kind of held on to i don't know why i have this because a lot of people don't i never get mad at someone who i almost never get mad at someone who is to the left of me even if i disagree like i never i always try to like you know even if somebody's saying like something i might think is too far like it's like even i i don't even that's not even where i'm at now like i don't know how far left you can go that will upset me but you know before when i was like still like you know thought you know i should vote for you know democrats or whatever like I never thought that people who wanted to vote for Nader instead of Gore were like bad people. I might think they their strategy might might have been bad. Maybe I don't remember clearly. Um, I, I don't remember clearly having any negative opinions about people who vote for Nader specifically. I'm just saying in general, like I might I might have maybe thought that like someone on the maybe I would think oh you have to at least vote or at least vote for a Democrat, and then we move to the left later. I might have thought something like that, but I would never think that, like, someone was wrong or, you know, a pipe dream. I never was into, like, hippie punching or left punching as far as I can uh, remember. Um, as So I, I always thought, like, even if I'm a Democrat, I'm to the left of most Democrats and people to the left of left of that, like they're fine and they're good people. And that's okay. I, this is a kind of, I, this is a phrase that I use. It's kind of a little bit problematic, but uh, people, but I, I think it's, you know, very, very illustrative. And it's a good uh, mindset to have generally speaking, it's like people on the left know that the uh, people on the right uh, know that the people to their right are crazy people on the left know that the people on their left are correct and if if that's your mindset going in you ultimately can't go wrong and your politics will get better over time yeah no that's that's an interesting thought um and it's definitely i mean i was even thinking while you were saying that that some of the far left you know, like I see on far left Twitter, the opinions that sometimes annoy me, but on a certain level, I'm like, yeah, that, you know what? I could understand their point is the people who just like think everyone's a CIA agent. <laughs> you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're paranoid enough to think that, then like, yeah, you maybe actually kind of have a point to think that because anyone, I mean, I guess could be, you know, like, who the hell knows? You know, like so. Yeah, I like. I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I do want to be clear. Some people on the who may have politics on the far left might have other problematic things that maybe aren't doing have to do with politics of as far as like actual politics go like i think you you know you can't do far you can't go far too far left <laughs> no yeah i agree with that um and i mean the reason i'm asking all these questions leslie is because 
we've we've sort of shifted gears here in terms of the media focus and societal focus, not just in the United States, but now it almost seems like globally, uh, we are things have shifted, and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole has gained seemingly more momentum than it has since it was like since the term was coined like i guess around the time of ferguson i mean maybe the term actually predated that but that you know that iteration of it you know there were all these politicians saying or not politicians but just like sort of like generic liberal people saying that this pandemic was good for society in certain ways because look at global warming is like down um the emissions are down you know less car accidents uh you know less mass shootings uh, less school shootings you know, well, school's out, so obviously. But while those things may have been like positively impacted in some way by this, uh, some other things seem to be completely continuing as normal with no change whatsoever. And one of those things that has sort of reared its ugly head back into the dialogue and has sort of taken up all the focus right now is the killing of black people by police. And this actually started an event that weren't, weren't even police. Uh, there was a vigilante murder of Ahmed Arbery in yes. Georgia um, by two white uh, vigilantes. I think it was a father and son, or they believed him to be. They suspected him. They claimed to be a burglar. So they chased him down in their car and shot him and killed him. There's a video of it. That's maybe a situation that was actually possibly heightened by the lockdowns in the sense that, you know, that this, all these other things, maybe there's less mass shootings happening, but like people's paranoia is on an increase. So it's not surprising that we would see something like this happen during the, the, the pandemic. But this event actually took place before the pandemic hysteria here really hit. It, it happened in, on February 22nd. The video and the headlines didn't really seem to hit critical mass until we were already sort of well into the pandemic. And I think people were really outraged. I mean, at least on social media, there was definitely media coverage of it. But the two men that were seen shooting him on the video were somehow still free at the time of this story being blasted all over the media. And people were wondering, why aren't these two guys at least being brought in yet? You know, at least arrest them and question them. That didn't, hadn't even happened yet. Eventually, they were brought in. There weren't really protests for that. There was, I think maybe there were some local protests Possibly those two men being brought in sort of quelled uh, some protests that could have happened from that. It's hard to say. But then only two months pass, and suddenly uh, a horrific video comes out of a white police officer putting his knee on the neck of a black man named George Floyd. Uh, this video goes viral, and uh, Floyd died. Um, this happened on May 25th. Everybody's nerves, I mean, just in the United States, were already very frayed at that point. You know, th we were already three months into the lockdown. So this video comes out. Uh, the official autopsy claims that it was because he was intoxicated and then he already had a heart condition or something. The family hires their own autopsy doc by Dr. Michael Baden. He says that it was caused by asphyxiation. You know, then there's conservatives trying to claim that actually the autopsies are the same. They don't really show anything that different. Everyone could see what's happening in the video. It's unquestionably horrific. There's other horrible, you know, weird things about the video. I don't know if you've seen this, Leslie, but the paramedics who even come on the scene to take him away 
they're they're not even paramedics they're police like wearing oh. rubber gloves it's it's very the whole thing is just horrible i mean there's so many layers to it the fact that there's another video of them beating him in the police car before they put him on the pavement did you see that there's no, another I video of that. I didn't see that. Yeah, no, the I other officers see. are also standing around during that, and you could see him punching him inside the the car. So, I think you know, in that case, there was enough evidence maybe stacked against the police to be like, this is outrageous. But yet, we didn't see you know the mainstream media or even conservative media agreeing that this was an outright murder. Yet, then you know, the next day we started seeing massive protests first locally. Um, in Minnesota, and then in ma- in several major cities, like the days afterwards, and all this chaos happening, I missed the fact that another black woman had been shot and killed by police, Breonna Taylor, yeah, uh, on March fifteenth, twenty twenty. Like I didn't even hear about that until these protests started happening again. So, given that all this is happening, just how did this affect you, like on a personal level, when you started seeing this stuff? And, like, what do you think about how the protest started? My first feeling, I mean, as I mentioned, like, what some of my earliest memories are of the Rodney King, you know, trial, the verdict, and the, you know, riots after the fact. And my first feeling was, here we go again. It's the same thing again. Nothing, you know, good is going to come out of this. They're gonna, you know, there are people will be people will protest, but um, the police will brutalize them. The Democrats will co-opt this, and then you know nothing will change, and we'll be back here in a couple of years. Because I mean, <clears throat> you have to point out that Black Lives Matter started under Barack Obama. You know, like this that this movement, this specific movement, you know, started under you know a black the first black president, Democrat president. And so, and I like I don't know what better could happen under the presidency of Donald Trump uh, than what could happen under Obama. But I've been hardened by the fact that people, you know, were in the street so much, so uncompromisingly, and like we're not taking no for answer. We're not, you know, accepting um, the violence against them. They were fighting back, like. And things and, you know, the conversation did shift from, you know, first it was, you know, we all are united. Even Republicans at a certain point were like, you know, of course, what happened to George Floyd was terrible and horrific. And they just wanted it to be about the bad cops that they can throw under the bus. The fuck up was that the local PD, they should have just like locked those dudes up. First of all, like they might have like been able to uh, quell this and saved all these people, you know, the trouble. And I I don't mean the protesters. I mean, you know, the people in power. They, they could, like, I'm sure, like, there's people, uh, the, like, someone like de Blasio or Cuomo is super pissed off at the Minneapolis, um, like, the local officials in Minneapolis for not putting, the, putting out this fire as soon as possible. Uh, but they didn't. And, you know, it spread across the country every you know, single state. It's <laughs> it's even our you know capitalist overlords at uh, <laughs> our favorite corporations and brands even wanted to, had had to let us know how much they stand with Black Lives. If you log into Apex Legends, there's a 
little banner that just says Black Lives Matter matter instead of you know telling you to buy the little coins uh in order to <laughs> buy a skin uh, it's really <laughs> funny um but you know i've been hardened by the change in dialogue and we and it's worth noting because i think our people have forgotten the initial pushback to this was trying to say that the rioting and i'm saying the word rioting i know the racial racist implications of it. I've complained about it before, but I think it's time we like own it. Like, yes, these were riots and they were justified and we're going to keep doing them uh, until until things change. I, th- I think it's okay to call it a riot now because we don't have any other choice, frankly. And so the, the riots, the first, you know, response was, oh, these are outside white agitators. Like, it was very funny. That they recall, like they made really made the point to call them like white agitators like yeah. trying to like wokeify their attempts you know to crush this uprising totally. this rebellion and trying to you know split the unity of people that were in the streets because it was young black people and young white people fighting together for the same cause and they really didn't want to fucking fuck with that right so they were trying and it, it you know it looked like it was almost working because a lot a lot a lot of liberals like fell for it uh, i'm sure they feel very embarrassed now but i remember like a week ago like that's all you know people were trying to talk about like of course we stand with black lives and you know i we're not going to be right winger they weren't you know right wingers about the riots and the burnt target but they still would say stuff like but i think mo- like these protests were peaceful until these white outside agitators were uh, coming uh, were starting trouble these were antifa these were anarchists uh, yeah an- i think the liberals prefer anarchists to and saying antifa as for like the bad actors in this they would say you know these are white anarchists of course and they will even like try to use like a like oh i'm i'm more left than them i'm i have more experience in this thing than they do i i know more about fighting than they do and we don't want and i know none of my black friends want them there messing this up for them they want everything to be peaceful and like that just did not stick because people stayed in the streets and we would like there was even a video a little a video of this group of people pushing over a cop car and someone posted it was a black woman who i he was not a right winger who is you know uh, more on the left, uh, a more left style Democrat who was like, you see, it's all these white agitators, you know, causing this trouble. But if you actually look at the video, like with the brightness on your screen, maybe her screen is just very dark or something. You see that there are black people in the very video with the same angle that she is posting. There are black people lifting up that cop car with the white people. And when you see the other angle, you see it's like, you know, like Bennington, like United Colors of Bennington. It's like everyone of every race helping to overturn this cop car when you see the the other angle of it. So that narrative just thankfully did not survive. And then we moved very swiftly uh, to like, okay, we're seriously talking about uh, defunding and eventually abolishing police in the country, which is it couldn't have gone better now that's not to say you haven't won anything yet but at least as far as like the conversation goes and where the narrative goes which i does i do think matters more than it should obviously but it does i think we're probably in 
a, we're in a much better place, as you said, than Black Lives Matter, Matter was ever able to get in the first, you know, uprisings. You just said so much. I wanted, I wanted to go back to several things that you said. First, the idea that, to just own the idea that rioting works. Because yes. there, here's, here's how I see it, is that the right wing and even the mainstream media in this regard, they're very similar, actually. There's really not much difference between the right wing Fox News narrative and the ABC News narrative on what happens when there's any protesters throwing things at police, breaking down barriers, starting fires, breaking windows, anything like that that happens, they will call it a riot. So like any it doesn't matter it's at a certain point it's not even worth having the debate if it's yeah. if you want to so fine, yeah, it's rioting if you're going to call any form of property destruction, including someone painting a a cab or you know the acronym "All cops are bastards on the side of a building as a riot, then yeah, fine, well, it's a riot. And what I find interesting, Leslie, is that the mainstream media took a really different turn, including even Fox News, not just on the idea that George Floyd's death was horrific because Fox News did not have the same attitude at all towards Eric Garner. They had a very different yeah. attitude. They even would mock him on air. This is different, where it's almost like they're like, fine, yeah, it, it was totally outrageous, it was horrific, this was a brutal killing, but, you know, we want peaceful protests, like, not all cops are bad. So that's like Fox News's narrative now, and it to me, it almost reeks of fear that that narrative, and, not, and also the mainstream media's slightly different flavor narrative, where it's like, ooh, we really like all these peaceful protesters, look at all, look at how big these peaceful protesters are, yeah. it's so peaceful, we love it. Like, we love all these peaceful protesters. Here's a backpack peace for being porn. peace. Yeah. So that's a similar, it's, it's almost kind of the same messaging. And I think the messaging really is, if you behave, we'll sort of back you in this low-level, non-threatening sort of mass march movement that doesn't really shake or rattle the status quo in any serious way that it was when there was some, like, rioting and police cars being overturned and you know, things really crazy shit happening that really brought people's attention to it. So I don't know if I'm, I'm making sense with that. Like, do you think that oh, that's yeah. definitely the media is sending that kind of messaging out deliberately right now? Yeah, they, they, they were trying. They Like, I, I mean, CNN is not independently, like, a report. I mean, not, in, uh, not objectively reporting on this. They didn't objectively report on Black Lives Matter. We... People talked a lot about the coverage of Black Lives Matter and how bad it was. People hated fucking Don Lemon's coverage. I'm not talking about leftists. I'm talking about mainstream black Democrats yeah. who are very upset with the reporting um, of this from the mainstream media, not even getting to Fox News. Remember he got and called it, out on camera during a stand-up like a mu couple months after Ferguson by some yes. black woman on, live on air? Yeah, and people were like rightly pissed. And he, it's funny because he has actually tried to move to the left since then. Like he has tried to get better. I don't know if it's genuine. I don't know if it's just a cynical thing, but he has tried to get better in the past, what, four uh, years about this sort of thing. But it, it they're, they're always trying to corral this and they only talk about these things on certain axes. It's like, is there violence? If there's violence, then it's illegitimate. You know, if it's peaceful, it's legitimate. Even if the peaceful, you know, demonstration like doesn't result in any change and doesn't mean anything. Like there, like it's 
they're they talk about it completely separated from like the power to actually change things. It's always about the power to win over some, you know, hearts that are sitting and watching the TV. It's almost it's like the Hunger Games. It's like they report on it like exactly like the cover the news coverage of the Hunger Games in the movie because they have the commentators talking about like all these kids like brutalizing each other. So they might pray like uh, except for, uh, at least in the Hunger Games they do praise like some of the, they sometimes praise the more evil kids because they're effective. Uh, the more violent kids because they're effective. But like when you watch those films, um, they're, they're they talk about like oh Katniss, she's just such a like seems like such a good smart player, so people will uh, support her and buy her you know gear and drop it off and stuff like that. And that's how they talk about the protests. It's like if these protesters keep things peaceful enough, then America, whatever that means, uh, will support them. Uh, whatever that means, America and support in, you know, the biggest scare quotes imaginable. And that's kind of they have this very detached view is completely detached from what the protesters actually want, what is actually being done to affect any of the changes about what they want. It's, you know, detached. I mean, it's obviously detached from where the actual violence comes from, which is the police who are, you know, who shouldn't be out there, you know, who like they accept the fact that the riot the police should be there in riot gear even though the protest is against police the protests are against police brutality yeah. why would you put the police out there in their most violent form that just no one on tv will ever question that no one will say you know what if the police just didn't come out uh these protests would almost certainly be peaceful if that's what they wanted but they never question any, anything like that they never really questioning the fundamental things they do it's almost like hunger games or espn like coverage of it where you know there's only a couple of dynamics where this scored on and scored on peacefulness versus violence and if you put to me and you score a bunch of peace points in then you win the game and then we go home and move on to the next thing but if you put to me in the violence category then you're bad and you're illegitimate and you lose the game uh, re regardless. Now, the problem is for them is that a bunch of points got put into the violence, and again, I'm using it in their terms. A bunch of points got put into the violence category, and the, it looked, but the protesters like actually won. <laughs> like there are, or not yet, you know, obviously not yet, but like the they were able to shift the narrative and demand some real changes that have been promised uh, at least at the local level. Like it, the narrative has shifted and CNN was no longer able uh, to control it, even though the protests were violent, like riots work. A lot of people are saying that. I think, I think that's very clear. Like when people are willing to burn down the police station, burn down that, you know, big box store, like you have to do something and you can't just kill them all. I'm sure they'll try it at some point, but they're not willing to go that far seemingly now. They're willing to gas a bunch of people. They're willing to kill some people, but they're not, but they're, they're limited and they're at a certain point they can be broken. And I think that has happened in various cities across the country in in certain types of ways. Now, I don't want to get too optimistic yet, but I'm saying like, this is bit, this has kind of been heartening and some good things have happened and 
kind of put into bed the idea that the way the way and the only way to change things is peaceful protest because that's obviously not true i mean i'm heartened too by it i mean i do think that some of the conservatives did have some there's some validity to the idea that how long could these lockdowns continue we want to be able to go about our lives kind of thing there is the civil liberties argument there but i do think on a sort of just a base level that is sort of a selfish reason to protest now this is sort of a selfless thing so it's it's kind of it really heartens me to see people even you know and i'm sure some of these people can't all be over COVID 19 and be like oh fuck that i'm not worried about it anymore i'm sure a ton of these people are at these protests are pretty worried about it still so the fact that they're out there risking that and and doing this i think is is very heartening too and i think a lot of people aren't necessarily seeing it that way they're sort of more just mocking the hypocrisy of it rather than maybe seeing it as a sort of a, a selfless thing to go out and protest when there's still like a pandemic going on i mean i can't say that i'm comfortable enough to actually go into the streets yet you know i'll admit that uh, so like i hats off to anyone who is right now um especially like fighting against like police brutalities that's actually happening in your face and you know and i agree with you that this is not like a victory yet or that they haven't won um but they're definitely i, I do think people should be optimistic about this that they're the it's just, at least it's a showing that these there's some massive amount of energy of discontentment against the police specifically but not just against the police but against a lot of like societal things in the united states i mean we saw sort of, you know, what helped push the Bernie movement, even though Bernie disappointed a lot of people in the end. But I do think that that's sort of optimistic. That there is something there that I think is going to explode again in some fashion. So I guess now it's a question of, has this co-optation worked for now to quell that, that energy to actually reach a point where people are willing to battle police in the streets or willing to, quote unquote, riot know to get people's attention like it's a victory in one sense that there's an acquiescence we see black lives matter now on chase.com when i log into my bank yes <laughs> but like it, you know or is that more of a sign that they're scared they've acquiesced and they're sort of giving us a tokenistic victory you know so like i don't know it's all it's simultaneously like an obvious sign that they're that they want to act like they're they have solidarity, but I think it's also maybe making me optimistic too that that's how quickly they acquiesce. To that's how scared people get, you know, when they see police cars being overturned by people in the streets. Yeah, I it's it's kind of a mix, right? Because the first you know corporate person I saw was like part of a company I don't even remember what it was, but it's like a part of a company that would never be asked about Black Lives Matter, right? And it was like the CEO, he went on LinkedIn and wrote this big, long post about like how much police brutality like pisses him off. And it was kind of like, I like, I don't want to be cynical about it. Kind of like he's a CEO, obviously of a big company. So he's a piece of garbage capitalist, whatever, but it seemed to get him on a personal level. Right. And I've seen some of the corporate stuff that seemed to be going a step above what you know most of them are doing like i, I think i mean babynames.com had a really good one that seemed like whoever you know wrote it like actually cares about this issue so i want to note that before we get into the cynicism that like i don't want to be completely cynical about 
everything. Like I've seen, I think I've seen some genuine expressions of like people are like really like taking it seriously. People who you might not expect to, people who weren't weren't on board or were who would not say that they were on board with Black Lives Matter the first time it came around, right? Like none of these companies uh, were, and so. I, I, I think the conversation has shifted and changed. Now, with this, the cynical part is that with you, when and, and it really felt surreal to see like all these banks and telecoms and insurance companies like emailing me to say how much they care about uh, black people. The worst ones were like the media companies like Netflix and like HBO, like telling me we stand in solidarity and Disney was the worst one because they used the same one for all their properties. They used it for Disney and they used it for Marvel. They used it for star Wars and they always the same like corporate language. Oh, like we stand with black creators or our black friends was the first thing they said. Creators, artists, etc., who work in our industry, black lives matter. That was so like surreal. I couldn't even put into words like the feeling it gave me to see like this brand tell me how much it loved me and cared about me as a black man. It's just an experience I never, you know, felt before. And it just was bizarre. And I'm not even sure if I can properly process it now. And of course, all of that is very cynical. But I, what I did see was every time they would make these sta statements, people would push back and say, you say you care about black lives, but you do this. You say you care about black lives, but you put out this, you canceled this, you treated this person like this. And when, you know, it got down to the level of like minor celebrities and people in it, prominent positions in industry started posting, you know, the obligatory black lives matter message, like individuals who knew them in their personal lives would be like, you say black lives matter now, but you treat, but you were racist towards me personally, X, Y, and Z. This happened to, uh, I think, uh, some, uh, woman who worked at Glee or something like that. She's just, was it, she just terrorized everybody who worked with her, uh, black or white seemingly. And she, and she got called out for like being a, like a bad person in real life and still coming out and saying <laughs> black lives matter. So like even the cynical stuff is, and the co-option is kind of getting a pushback that I didn't expect. I, I, I think, and COVID does have something to do with this because so many of these people who are doing this pushback, like within their own industries, like would not do this if everything was going normal, the economy was fine, they have steady going gig and the prospect of an even better steady going gig coming forward. Now people are sitting around at home, you know, maybe unemployed or underemployed, no fuck, no prospects. And they're like, why am I protect still protecting this racist? Like I'm going to call them out. I'm going, and there was a, I think there was a, there was a big thing in publishing where people, where all these black writers talked about like how underpaid they were and how mistreated they were and talking about, you know, their salaries and being very, talking about things very openly that I don't think even if this black lives matter movement was rising up right now without COVID, I don't think that same thing is happening because the COVID has changed the, you know, economic situation of so many people um, that like people just don't give a fuck. Like they're, sure. they're willing to, you know, speak mm. out, burn, a, burn a bridge too. like, this is a, this is a moment where you can, you know, you know, say what you need to say without 
worrying about oh this person is going to retaliate against me because uh how could they um with you know when everyone is online all the time if somebody tries to fuck with you for calling out their racism you can just post it and every and a bunch of people will see it yeah no it's interesting too because the playing field is almost more even right now so like you know there's really not much difference between a celebrity going on a zoom a zoom appearance on a talk show right now versus a celebrity posting their own TikTok video, you know, if they wanted to talk about this, for example. So, yeah. So that's, that's something that's kind of come up from COVID too, which is interesting. So I wanted to just mention briefly John Boyega, because I don't know. I mean, I know we've talked about it before in regards to like the new star Wars trilogy. I was sort of like heartened to see his videos because not that all celebrities deserve a pat on the back for, speaking strongly about issues like this but like he seemed to be doing it in like an unfiltered way that like yeah he just seemed to give zero fucks which is was kind of surprising you know it's not like i'm you know not all celebrities have to be tethered to some kind of walk toe the line or only do things that are non-risky but it does generally seem like today at least like barely anybody talks like this who's a high profile celebrity like him so i don't know i mean like he was one of the first celebrities that I saw really like going off on this comment on that. But also I just wanted to quickly mention there's a comedian that, you know, is kind of in some ways trying to be like Bill Burr ish. He does a lot of commentary on social justice stuff. Um, Mark Normand, he would never be the type of comedian to ever like take a political stance like black lives matter or anti-police brutality. And now like for the first time I've actually seen him, I've been following him for like five years on Twitter and he's actually earnestly tweeting all these links to like Black Lives Matter, things about police brutality. And it's just like, that's a really interesting shift to see happen. And I, I mean, that's kind of heartening in a weird way. So like, I don't know, like, have you ever, have you seen any other, other celebrities, uh, you know, where you actually are like impressed by their turnaround on this? Because I don't want to be all cynical about this. So like, what, have you ever seen any other positive developments like that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have seen like I, I, I because on our show we've been covering what we like to call, what we, what's called meltdown May, uh, where somehow during May like everybody seemingly starts you know to get a bit bit looser on uh, online and have like you know kind of flame outs you know kind of have meltdowns online. But that call that, you know, came together with this, you know, Black Lives Matter protest. So, as I said, you know, people are kind of giving no fucks now. And John Boyega is a good example of this because before he got in the streets, he was like fighting with Star Wars fans about, you know, their racism and saying like he like saying, I hate racism. I fuck racism. I hate racist. Fuck racist. I don't care if it if you don't watch my movie. So many tons of, you know, artists have, you know, come out and said, Black Lives Matter, like generally artists who are, or you know, actors or act, uh, who are creatives who aren't considered political have come out and said something, and then their fans get out, get at them, and then they're like, "Well, then don't watch my fucking movies." Like Seth Rogen, for example, who I don't think anyone can accuse of being a SJW woke lord, like like just the least woke man possible, like put out some very strong statements now. I again like I think it's a combination of uh, I think COVID like accelerated this to the point where people are like, hey, I actually don't have any movies lined up. I don't know 
if or when I'm going to work again. So why should I sit around and bite my tongue about this stuff that is so, so important? I'm going to say it. I'm going to tell my fans to fuck off if they have a problem with it. I like it is so um, it, it I have seen like heartening stuff. I have seen stuff from people that I didn't expect. So I, I'm not all cynical. I think a lot of people have you know been like and people who i thought were generally good have like posted stuff that who, who have said made statements and said stuff that i think was to the left of what they would say before like mila jovovich you oh know, my she's god a, i'm seeing so many neoliberal even type people like people who work for media matter saying things right now where i'm like wait a second is that the same person oh it is yeah like they're calling pi police pigs now i'm just like yeah, wow that's like, crazy <laughs> sorry yeah, you're talking about mia jovovich yeah, yeah, Mila Jovovich, you know, who I'm a big fan of and who's a who very uh, who's a quiet Bernie Sanders supporter by the way, but she's been posting like some really, you know, good good uh stuff now uh about, you know, police brutality, police abolition, defund the police. Now, I do have to mention uh when, when, when you talked about DeRay, now this is where he come, came in with the 8 can't wait. The 8 because the 8 can't wait was the per, almost a perfect way of co-opting this because it came right at the moment where you know people were kind of getting fatigued and kind of looking for the next step forward what can we what's going to happen with all this energy everybody's angry everybody's posting about this stuff everybody's posting fuck the police and calling them pigs but what can everybody people are in the streets and dealing with so much violence so much violence and people were like just kind of like what's coming next and then it can't wait shows up out of nowhere and says Oh, this is a perfect package that we can deliver to people. And if they just sign our petition, then they can go back uh, to their lives, right? Like, it's done. This, this is signed off by an organization. I think they're, was it, uh, no, uh, Project Zero. Uh, it's DeRay. You, everybody knows DeRay. We remember him from the uh, first season of Black Lives Matter, where he's back. Um, and, it was a po and it's nice. It has nice graphic design. Has these eight bullet points that look look cool. You can post it on your Instagram very easily. And some people did. Some people did. Like a lot of people, like immediately saw this because the rollout was very good. It was very good. Ob Obama was involved with the rollout, even, and it was all nice and good. And but like within a, f a few hours, maybe twenty four hours. Like that kind of fell apart because all these activists, you know, who came out and said, like, actually, most of these cities already have all these reforms in place. Like the cities that killed George Floyd had seven of these eight reforms in place already. Rules for cops is not the solution. Making new rules for cops so that they can break them is not going to change things. It's not going to be a solution. And then people kind of stepped away from the eight can't wait. And that was very heartening because that could have been it. That could have been the thing that, you no, know, maybe it wouldn't, it wouldn't have stopped people, you know, in the streets from continuing the fight, but it would have stopped everyone else. It would allow everyone else to get back to brunch. Right. But uh, and it wouldn't be so in their face. They wouldn't have to deal with it. They could just say, Oh, well, the Democrats are taking care of it. They have the eight can't wait plan. And just where and and more and on, even on a local level, like every mayor, you know, and specifically this is where Barack Obama comes in. He has a mayor's pledge, you know, of, involved with the eight can't wait where he's asking these mayors to sign the pledge. And then he's going to post it on his website and on his Instagram feed. And now that, you know, that mayor 
has, you know, riot insurance. Now he can say, oh, Barack Obama, I've, I've signed the pledge that Obama wants. You remember Barack Obama, right? He's He says, I'm good. So you can, all can go home. We have the reforms. They're coming. We're going to take care of this. Obama's going to check on me in 90 days. And if, if, if things are bad, still bad in 90 days with our police department, then by all means, you know, still be angry at me. But right now, you know, chill out, you know, and forget about this for now. And that was the plan, but it looks like it did not work. That co-option did not work. Uh, the Kinde Cloth one is a, a, is another attempt for the uh, people for the Democrats in Congress to try and cover themselves and say, "Oh, see, the Congressional Black Caucus like they bought us all dashikis, you know." So now we're we're good. We're doing our part, and it that doesn't seem like that worked either. People still angry. People still care. People still in the streets, even if, you know, maybe the media is probably going to try to move on to another thing narrative fairly shortly. Uh, but at the local level, like these people are not being left uh, let off the hook, which I think is the most important thing. And I think that's a very, very, very uh, good and heartening thing. Yeah, because the idea of reform, it just doesn't even make sense at this point. Rodney King happened in the early nineties. Like how much, how many more examples do we need to see that that's obviously not going to work? I mean, every yeah, time like people, any, anything like this happens, they say that we need to reform you're already not allowed to do chokeholds in all these places, but police still do them all the time. I mean, we need something much more drastic to be done. So, but you know, everyone of course gets caught up in the, in the protest rhetoric. Like I even see smart people being like, Oh yeah, defund the police. So you just want like all privatized police or something. It's, I I don't think people understand that this is the only way to really catch people's attention. If you threaten the police's paychecks and make them feel that worried that they could basically be out of a job or to have parts of their paycheck cut because of their horrible behavior, that's actually pretty effective. How do you feel about the red people's knee jerk reaction to just the rhetoric saying? Oh, that's, you know, that's childlike. Uh, we can't defund the police. What happens if your house gets robbed? Like, what, what, what is your reaction to that? I mean, you can, I mean, the knee-jerk reaction was coming from the centrists, obviously. But I don't think it's, like, working, like, as well as they, as they would hope. that. Like, oh, of course, that's silly because there is a out. Even when you say defund the police, you can say, oh, what we actually mean is this list of very specific reforms people like lists you know people like having a, a, a nice list they can point to that explains the policy and i don't think you know saying like and defund and the fact that people can just say we defund schools all the time yeah <laughs> like like that that you know maybe that argument isn't the most you know logical and rational you know rebuttal but it's effective and it's pithy and it gets people on an emotional level it's like we if we are and when you start talking about exactly how much money is spent on police or uh police brutal settling police brutality oh God, yeah. claims from police who remain on the force most normal people regular people are going to see that and say all right, that's too much money to be spending on this. And when you say, like, we could take this money that we're spending after the fact, after, and again, I'm using the terms that they use, 
after someone, some bad seed has already become a criminal, we can spin that before and put them in, you know, uh, pre, uh, pre-K and save a bunch of money at the back end and not have to send them to juvie and throw them to jail. It's a lot more effective to spend the money here than to spend it on cops when they're older. Like it's much, it's much better to spend it on teachers than it is to spend it on cops. It's much better to spend it uh, on schools than it is to spend it on jails. Even if Kamala Harris disagrees and thinks that's silly, uh, most people do not. I think most reasonable people, even people on the right, would rather like schools than jails ultimately. And I think we're at a moment where we can where people can make that argument for spending, even if like defunding, like I, I, of course I support completely defunding and abolishing, but there is like a rhetorical out that can get the scared people on board where you can just tell them what we mean is that we are going to, you know, start spending instead of spending the money here, we're going to spend the money there. And most people will probably say, okay, because like, most people like don't need that that need to spend that much money on cops. Yeah, I mean, even just if you take the example of something that didn't even exist when when we were children. I mean, like a concept of a SWAT team is a relatively new, expensive addition to local police departments all over the country. That you know, why do we need that? Like that's just one specific thing. It's like that's where a lot of the horrible things happen. You know, specifically if we're talking about. Breonna Taylor were actually, they weren't even in SWAT gear. They were plainclothes officers who didn't even yeah. announce that they were police. And they started shooting and her male partner started shooting back because he thought it was an intruder. He didn't recognize them as police. They didn't announce themselves. But that's SWAT training. That's like the SWAT mentality. They get training. All these police get trained in that mentality. A no-knock raid is sort of a SWAT you know, or even prohibition era sort of like, <laughs> you know, yeah. raid of like a, a speakeasy yeah, like, or something. It's not it's like the untouchables. Yeah, type it's, shit. It's, yeah. it's it's lawless type of behavior that's sort of been institutionalized in the modern age as being like, well, yeah, every police needs a SWAT team because what are we going to do about these crack houses or these people who hold themselves up in, in police standoffs? Well, it's like, it's just, if you really think about it, we don't need even something like that. So... I think your take on it is very as a very good way to sort of get people's fear to go away when it comes to defunding the police. But it's sort of there's so much fear in general that's been kicked up during these protests and during the riots and specifically the looting. It's the looting that really gets people to pearl clutch. You know, you would think it would be just the rioting in general, like things being on fire that would get some of these people to pearl clutch, but it's actually the looting. And I think it's specifically people watching videos of black people looting. It sort of like intrinsically triggers their sort of racism. To get to that point psychologically where you're so scared of watching videos of people looting to believe that the only possible uh, response to it is to call the military in, I think just really shows what kind of hysteria that people can get in from, from seeing this kind of stuff. I'm not making excuses for them. It's just... It's just really sad to me, and it kind of almost reminds me of 9-11. It's like, well, yeah, we want our civil liberties taken away. Fine, let's get the Patriot Act to stop all this terrorism. Is it, you know, do, I, I just shocking to me that so many people would think that it's worth the cost to, be, to not just be okay with the National Guard being there, but to actually want active military. You know, to see how many people actually were like, yeah, that's fine. 
you know, the, the looting is really scary. We need it to stop. It's, it's, it's actually kind of astonishing. So I'm just wondering, I'm wondering if we had gotten to the point where active military was on the streets and people got shot. I think we beat, we have a much bigger mass movement on our hands right now. It's kind of a missed opportunity that, that we didn't get to that level of flashpoint with active military. Do you think that, you know, I'm not trying to be accelerationist about this, but do you think that maybe that would have actually really woken people up? You know, that, that Tom Cotton op-ed seems to have caused a, oh, yeah. a sort of a dis- semi-disingenuous insurrection at the New York Times. But like, if the actual active military was out on the streets and somebody got shot, like it would have been like a like a, a Kent State on steroids, I feel like. I don't know. How do you feel about that? What, what I do, I I do feel that's true, and I, I also and I kind of feel like that's why Trump is like, all right, uh, everything's good now, and we're going to uh, send the truth back home. Everything's taken care of. Everything's fine now. I think because I mean, there's so many calculations going on, and, and when I say calculations, I don't mean that anybody involved in any of this is like smart or thinking, you know, real well. But I like they're all like everyone has like different motivations for this, like. The police department, they're just reacting to people like getting, being tired of their shit as the same way they always do with violence, with repression, with telling people what to do. And that didn't work. Uh, and so they, they had to ask themselves, like, how far are we going to push this? The mayors, these Democrat mayors are wondering, like, OK, I yes, I kowtow and bow to the police department all the time. I'm not going to get into a really big fight with them. But these people in the street are very angry and they seem like they're not going anywhere and I can't let these and you know these this the police department they're going so far that it, like it's going to cause me problems it might cost me my job in this next election if a bunch of people of if a bunch of black people get hurt while I the black mayor am sicking my dogs on them that's going to be a problem for me you have you know people the governors you know looking at this and saying like well, if, you know, I can send the National Guard there and kind of stop this from being a prop becoming a problem for me. But if I do, then and, the, and somebody gets shot, then that's a problem. And then Donald Trump, of course, the president at the national level, he's like, you know, I want this to go away. This is my base is not happy with this. My base is angry at this. But if we if any of these, you know, governors or these mayors or these police departments or these, you know, individual police like go off on the protester for real, I'm going to be the one catching all the flag for this. I'm going to be the one blamed for this. So they need to cut it out. But I can't tell them to go too far with this because then that would just create the problem I'm trying to stop. Right. Like, like, how do you get these people home that don't want to go home with, uh, Using violence, of course, but how much violence? How much violence is going to be too much violence and just going to get people more angry? So it's like a big, all these competing forces and calculations uh, going on. And of course, you have the uh, the larger Democrat Party wondering, like, how can we use this to our advantage uh, without actually giving anybody anything or actually doing uh, anything and that was the eight can't wait uh rollout that was that was their <laughs> attempt at uh co-opting uh this in a way that would ultimately like you know co- uh, take all that energy and bring it over uh to them uh caught co- while costing them uh the least amount uh from what they feel is uh politically uh but it would cost them the least amount of political uh capital uh, to do so you have all these 
things going on and not and like some people are like it, it's very it's like a complicated thing but again it's not like all these people are like smart about this stuff most of them are just doing the default thing i think that was the mistake in the beginning the mis- the first mistake that they made in minneapolis was running the normal playbook for when the cops uh kill someone right normal playbook is you protect the cop uh, when the people get mad you tell them to fuck off uh, when the protest happens, you uh, say it has to be peaceful. You bust a few heads, and then you, you, if you have to, but those are the bad people. You lock them up, and then you kind of move on because people, you know, the energy goes away. But it didn't. It didn't. It would if they were really thinking. If they were really smart, you know, that police department would have thrown those four cops under the bus immediately. Just, throw, just. It, I'm sure it looking back, seeing all the all the trouble it's caused them, that's the choice they would make right now. If they go back in time, they would say, all right, we're going to arrest these guys and we're not going to deal with any of this fucking thing. That guy uh, did wasn't do wasn't doing his job. He knew this guy he killed. He's fu- he's a fucking loose cannon. He already has all these complaints against him. We're going to throw we're going to get rid of him, save ourselves the trouble. It's probably not going to cost us anything down the line as far as our power goes. And and that's fine, right? But they didn't do that. And now and and I think one of the things that suggests like that's kind of their feeling is how the NYPD uh, is reacting if you've seen the video of like the union guy from the nypd where he just he really does lambast the minneapolis police department and their behavior and um the cop who killed george george floyd Chavon, said saying you know he's a bad cop he's a rogue cop that's garbage we would never we would never do that something like that the <laughs> NYPD. of course they do do that in words but i mean that's he knew the, that's optically kind of, what stance to take. Yeah, that's, yeah, they knew what's yeah, and, and it was interesting, you know, to see like this person like ranting against this cop, cop, this super cop ranting against other cops. That was the that was the calculation for him at that moment. Yeah, and I think that that's a similar calculation that some of these right wing media outlets have made too, like Fox News. You'll see a very similar attitude actually. Will they be like, this is a disgrace to the police. This man, you know, this these officers make every other police officer look bad. They're, they were really quick to throw him under the bus once the protests, you know, really started. And, I, you know, it seems like the Minneapolis Police Department um, and the government decided to crack down on the protests in a pretty typical fashion that, like you said, that we've seen before, business as usual. And then once it started to go to these other major cities, there seemed to be... And I don't know if I'm just heightened right now or I'm just still hypersensitive because I was sort of in an apocalyptic (laughs) fear state a couple months ago. But it did seem to me that there was a pronounced difference between the the way the police were treating protesters this time around than since the last major protest movement we saw. And the last one I can really remember is maybe Occupy because, you know, in between Occupy and this, uh, a lot of the protests have been like, against like white supremacist groups that have formed their own counter protests and things like that, like Antifa or, you know, those kinds of protests, you know, like in Portland or in Oakland. Um, so it's, you know, we didn't really see the police necessarily just beating up on all the protesters during those kind of protests. They just sort of let the protesters fight amongst themselves. It seemed like this time around the police, I don't know what 
happened, but it seems like a switch has been flipped where they were like, we, we're going to go really hard against the protesters this time, like, and really teach them a lesson. And I'm wondering, what was your feeling on that? Did you perceive it the same way that I did? And how do you think that that happened? Because I still, I still don't fully understand it. And I guess in my mind, I'm kind of thinking, well, is this just how, you know, because there's so many conservatives and Trump supporters in law enforcement now that they've gotten so much hatred and animosity towards Black Lives Matter, towards Antifa, whatever they think the left, these left protesters are, that they're actually like taking it out on them. Like almost like their anger and rage is sort of like bubbling over beyond, you know, maybe their own politics are, are playing a role. Like, how, how do you perceive what's going on? And do you have any explanation for that? You know, the way you just phrased it, you know, it kind of made me think like, oh, for the first time, okay, maybe Trump being president might have made, you know, this worse. Because it does seem like they did go hard, like, obviously their knee-jerk reactions to go hard, but it did seem like in city after city, they were going harder than they should have or needed to. Like, even, like, I understand many It wasn't just a wet right? city, yeah, that's the, it, it seemed to be like a coordinated yeah. rage. Yeah, it did seem like 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 see the stuff you see in Seattle. You know, this is supposed to be you know this. Totally. I mean, see, it's not like this is the first time Seattle has seen protests. You know, like like this is not the first time. It was is like it seemed like it would have been very very easy for when you have these mass protests. Because in my city, there was a protest. It was a it was initially supposed to be a silent protest, a very a, a protest that was going to be very you know accommodating. Uh, to you know the powers that be ultimately it's, it's people going out there making their voices heard and then going home peacefully is what is what y you you said and it and it seemed i mean it seems to me like i'm not i mean it's so hard to know exactly how all these things are going on they're going on in so many different places and so many different people are involved but it, it did seem like the police escalated. And this is, what, this is what so many people on the ground said, that every time, like, the police were escalating. Now, that's always, you know, the case. That's always the one. The police are always the one doing violence. But it seemed like, it, like you said, like, almost coordinated. Like, they were trying to escalate the violence in order to discredit uh, the protesters in the ways. Like, almost like they were, are, they were trying to crush... This is like the final operation to crush Black Lives Matter. We're going to show that they've they're going too far. They're burning targets. They're you know doing all this stuff. But it it just I, I guess part of the reason is like the cops are actually kind of dumb. And like we saw like individual cops like make like serious strategic errors and do things that they should not have done and made things so much more tense and. Uh, quote unquote violent and worse uh, for the situation for them like we see like the cops who are like beating up like DoorDash guys you know like what what possible like what possible reason could that be for why are you beating up a DoorDash guy in New York City because like the Minneapolis PD killed someone like that just doesn't follow that doesn't make any kind of sense that's just not like that doesn't make any sense and you just have to accept that like a lot of these cops are like really dumb and are just power tripping and just like hurting people and like they saw that a lot of them saw this as an opportunity they were empowered to do what they want and hurt people and it it's it backfired like all that like like the you can't talk about like you can't just dismiss 
this whole thing and saying, oh, it's violence, it's riots, because we've seen how much violence they've done. Like pushing the old man over in Buffalo. Like, you know, in Buffalo. Buffalo, why? 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 What, what possible reason could you have to be at that level? Because it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I, like, it, it may, it, I can never fathom, like, why? Like, it, it's so many, like, it almost reminds me of, like, the the other person who's melting down now, J.K. Rowling. Like, she's a billionaire, you know? She has, you know, this legacy of people who, millions of people around the world love her, love her work. She's fine. She's winning. She has won at life more than any other. She's the most popular writer on the face of the planet and will die uh, at, at being that right but she still has to go out for some reason get online and talk about like how angry she is at, uh, about trans uh, people for some reason like it like just these cops they could have gone to these protests if you want to do even if they were doing the fucking riot gear and the lineup and all that stuff like don't like push like try to you know, push the marchers and protesters in. Don't try to corner them. Don't start gassing them. Just fucking stand there for a couple, a day or two, and probably this thing w- might have, you know, dissipated or gotten less, more, less, less people going over, less and less things happen. The media pay, pays less and less attention to it, and it kind of just quietly, you know, goes away. But they didn't. Like, they wanted, it's like they were itching to use their weapons and their toys and their fucking their rubber guns that are like have blinded like all these people people who weren't like a lot of times people who weren't even protesting like i i saw this one image of this like just this regular normal basic white girl wearing like a sweater and a skirt you know like she's in like her early 20s just a normal white girl and like her face is busted open because the cops shot her in the head like some anti you know riot thing or whatever while she was gathering groceries she wasn't even protesting she was going out to get fucking groceries during the protest like 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 in normal circumstances you'd be like mad at this person for like doing that like not protesting but she wasn't even protesting she got shot in the head and she's bleeding and she's crying and it's like why like how does that help you if you're the police like why are you doing stuff like that that can only hurt you like that's not helping that's not helping your case at all. And it's just like, yeah, the only conclusion I can come with is that they're also like, they're all, they're violent, you know, they're brutal, they're sadistic, and they're also really dumb. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the new media landscape we're living in, they are really dumb. I mean, the fact that they don't understand that all these videos are just going to outrage people more. I mean, the amount of nightstick, like, uh, beating videos you know i didn't see I, there was some of that going on in occupy but the amount of it we saw this time of police just running down people and beating them up with their batons i mean seemed like there were dozens of videos like that and that's just an image that you don't want to you know you th- would think police have at least optically learned to avoid you know they opt for tasers and things like that because they think it looks you know it's it's a it's a, a more uh effective means of controlling someone but like just beating someone with a baton like that in and of itself is just strange that they would want that much video out there of that so part of me is almost wondering and i don't think this is some kind of fascist plot but like it is sort of it just is a level of dehumanization that i'm wondering you know it's stuff we used to hear about like you know back you know like during the jim crow era like 
if someone, you know, a, like a black man, for example, commits yeah. a, ta- a crime in a town, they'll descend on the town and just, you know, act like everybody's, uh, you know, hey, well, the, you're, you're at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, you're probably doing something wrong anyways. It's sort of like a dehumanization where you're, where you're sort of this mob mentality to crush, you know, it, let's just specifically talk about protesters, that it's almost like they don't care um, that these people are just going to get their groceries. Well, you were there. You know, you're probably friends with someone in Antifa. You look like a hipster, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm sure cops who saw that picture that you're talking about of that woman going to get groceries, probably like, oh, she's probably one of the, those Antifa or something like that's the way yeah. they'd react to it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they're just not thinking about how they can't think like humans think. And well, this old like, guy, even- everybody's yeah. saying he, I mean, the president yeah. basically said he was literally trying to jam I mean, and I, I don't even I, I don't even want to use Trump as an example because it's a, it's hard to even gauge where anybody else is at in regards to him these days. But I mean, a lot of other people are saying he was an antifa agitator. This old man. Well, well see, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> it, like that Trump tweet is very like illustrative of this. Like, he didn't have to say that, and I think that, like, you know, I, I please be understand. I understand that Trump is like a very evil man right i understand like anything bad you have to say about trump i'm not going to disagree with but he's usually a good poster he usually is good at twitter in some capacity when he's not getting angry on one even if he is like angry and like going after someone it usually is excites his base at least at the very least but him going after his old guy is like the first time he actually got ratioed online. It's the first time where even people who supported him were like, I don't know about that one. I don't know. Like, it, it seemed like he even took it like a step too far by trying to say this old guy who's just standing there seemingly trying to hand the police back their riot gear that they had dropped and then to go and like, and just like to almost like ki- almost kill this guy for no reason just 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 to shove him like that's just completely no one you know will ever defend that and for him to try and say oh he's probably like an antifa social it didn't like work it like really like it it didn't just upset the people who are always upset about trump it, it, it like bothered other people and like nobody can look at that and think that's like a reasonable thing. Nobody can see that video and think, except maybe a cop and Trump, and think that like that guy had it coming. Well, it seems like it's also sort of a weird feedback loop because even some people like uh, Ian Miles Chong were like making fun of the old guy at first, and then you know even Fox News sort of was starting. You know, several days later was talking about how awful this was and how inexcusable it was. And I, I almost wonder if like Trump would will read some of these like tweets from these other people, and then like he'll just have that in his mind, and then he won't sort of tune into the changed narrative that like Fox sort of sort of eventually comes to, where it's like, yeah, this was awful that cops should have you know crushed that ma- old man's skull, and then Trump is still sort of locked into like you know reading a few ian miles chong tweets or like jack posobiec or oan videos or something like two weeks later and he's just still he's like fixated on that i mean well (laughs) well here's the thing trump's never locked into anything that's true yeah he's he he has no problem he'll never admit he's wrong but he's very good at changing the subject when he is like he 
he will he will just like he might just like not talk about it again maybe he'll try it maybe he'll try it out one more time this specific old guy but then he'll move on and if somebody like reporter specifically asks him about it uh you know a month or two from now he might say you know i was just you know reporting what i said but look and then he'll yeah. change the subject to the next thing he, he never answers a question if you notice whenever he's asked a question he is very good at shifting it to something else if he doesn't want to talk about it. even if it's a question positive to him even if it's like a softball question he usually will like change the subject just as a sign of like dominance and power like he just does it like naturally like you, yeah. you probably know someone in your life who does this like if, oh, totally. if you know someone whoever like whenever you bring them a problem they already turn they immediately turn it to themselves that's just the kind of personality he has he'll never answer a direct question the way you uh frame it ever no yeah i mean even uh, like the only time I've seen him sort of like falter in an interview recently, he he's so good at just deflecting everything that people ask him. It was, I think it was Brett bear was interviewing him with some other female reporter from Fox news. And she asked him a question that he didn't like about like the pandemic numbers or something. And he looked at Brett bear and sort of made this expression at him. Like, Oh, what you guys are, what are you guys doing to me here? Like, I thought this was going to be like a, <laughs> like a friendly interview and he, and he like it, it was one of the, his like more weaker moments i've seen where you know a typical fox news viewer probably wouldn't think anything of it but it almost like his like misogyny like came out like almost like a like a venomous animal really quickly in sort of this jokey way but it was like he couldn't help himself like just sort of like guffaw and just sort of dismiss this female reporter and look over at brett bear and be like what does she what she thinks she's doing here i mean he didn't literally say that but it was like his his whole energy was projecting that, but yeah, how do we even get on Trump? I, I yeah, I do wonder. I mean, back to what you said about if him being president is exacerbating this, it has to be on some level. It's just yeah. the problem is it's hard to have to to make commentary about it in an intelligent way because everybody, all the generic neoliberals, you know, are acting like he's been Hitler from day one. And those are the same people also saying that he's a Putin plant. So it's kind of like you you have to almost separate everything all those people have said because it's worthless commentary from what's actually happening. And it's difficult sometimes. And the worst part about it is their their solutions, of course, if we get rid of him, then this all goes away. That's the that's the real like problem with putting this all at Trump's feet, because again, Black Lives Matter started under Obama. So like the idea that all the most important thing, and this is, this has been one way to try and co-opt it. Like, and this was early on, like, well, if you're in the streets, vote, you know, this is the most important thing is for us to vote Trump out in November and that's going to fix everything. But, uh, you know, Cuomo is a Democrat. De Blasio is a Democrat. The mayor of Minneapolis is a Democrat. The mayor of Buffalo is a black Democrat who put out a statement like insulting the guy who got the old guy who got pushed in the same manner that Trump did. Like this, Jesus. like this is, this is like, you can't, it's not just Trump. It's not just Trump. Even if he's making it worse, he is not the only part of this problem. And you have to deal with that. You can't, is this is a systemic issue. This is, and like, even saying it's a systemic issue, it kind of makes it a little bit less concrete what we can do because because there are very concrete solutions like 
defunding and abolishing the police. And I am very hardened by how that conversation has gone. And people are talking about it who would never would have talking about it. People are taking it seriously who would never would have taken it seriously. Now, the neoliberals are trying to like say, oh, this is silly. This is going to be a losing proposition. But like we know that's not true. Don't believe them. Don't buy it for a second. Like people on in general, like get nothing from the police. Like the police don't do anything for most people. Certainly they do a lot less for them than the teachers and the hospitals that we've been defunding. So don't don't like like if you have to you know convince somebody with the oh defunding just means spending on something else do that but you don't have to back away you don't have to be cowardly about it it's interesting too to see the way that a lot of people decide or and i think i saw you tweeting in along these general lines that people are always really quickly looking for the first thing they can as an excuse to opt out of having solidarity against the police and for black lives like it's just such a clue let's say of where people's heads some people's heads are actually at how quickly they will find something to opt out of it whether it's just the slogan to defund the police where you see a lot of people being like well what you want all private police who's going to take care of you when you're you're in trouble or whatever um there so but you can talk about all these other things like defunding social security defunding such and such and people don't make that same kind of blanket argument about it but then there's also people who are like well how come they aren't also talking about defunding the pentagon and how come they also you know how come you know people's lives in other countries don't matter like people being bombed you know like muslims lives don't matter i see some leftists even saying that yes i could see that that's you are very much geared towards their sort of foreign policy angle and what our country expresses outside of our borders and I too am very f- focused on that, and I think that's extremely important. But like, why can't we also get on board this movement? I mean, why can't you know the lack of discussion about that preclude you getting involved in this or having solidarity with this? I don't understand that. I think some of these people just need to be like, well, let's also defund the Pentagon. You know, instead of being yeah. like these fucking hypocrites, they don't want to defund the Pentagon. It's like, no, I mean like you just be like i mean like come on like i I just be a little more positive about it and i'm usually not the one to talk that way but like if you want to fold that in like i'm totally down for that i mean that is something i've been talking about for years so let's yeah let's do it let's bring all these issues together that's sort of like what occupy started to evolve into was something that had a lot of different societal issues it wasn't just the idea that the bank bailouts were unfair people were struggling financially it became something bigger so i think that this could become something bigger too i mean america does murder a lot of people around the world it's you it's become a unanimous belief now even the people who supported the iraq war except a handful of neocons will all admit that it was a mistake now to save face they've acquiesced to that they know that killing that many iraqis was wrong or they'll at least admit it you know they'll they'll acquiesce to that that argument they won't they won't stand up and say that it was a right thing to do or a righteous thing to do anymore. So I think there's room for all these kinds of uh, things. Do, what do you think about people choosing to opt out of this, you know, or, you know, even like, but, and, and I don't want to even get into the muck of like the cartoonishly disingenuous sort of more Michael Tracy aspects where it's like, 
posting a picture of like a white protester screaming at a line of police officers and one of them is black in the middle and he posts white female protester screaming at black police <laughs> officer like trying to make it seem like oh there's all these black police officers so don't their lives matter it's so it that's that's such a weak thing to post like have you even heard the song fuck the police the lyrics cover ice cube covered this in what 1989 yeah. black cops were we know about black cops okay black people know that black cops exist we see them yeah we understand uh that is still a racist institution and if you were a cop you stop being i mean the cops will tell you this you stop being black or white you you are blue now you were <laughs> you know what was the movie that um that bernie mac plays the the black cop in that's like a parody of other uh, movies where they'd show a bad black cop uh don't be a minute yeah <laughs> that that scene is is great uh, i recommend people watch that movie they haven't seen yes, it already yes. but but no, I mean, it's it's so weird that people don't understand that. And no, it's not a liberal leftist head up your ass academic concept to think that a black cop can also have some fundamentally white supremacist beliefs in the way yeah. that he polices and sees and looks for suspects and criminals. Like police are taught through a white supremacist lens. It doesn't matter what color you are becoming a cop. I mean, maybe in some instances it does. Maybe it gives you some more sensitivity, but it's a white supremacist system. I just don't think these people understand that this is not like a academic SJW thing. It's an a, it's a real thing. Like they it's just need to thing. get into their fucking heads. It's a real thing that real black people live live with and deal with. It is not outside agitators. It is not white anarchists. Like black people, I mean, certainly there are black people. I, I think maybe even the majority of black people, like, have been ha do have the same indoctrination that white people do about police. But like, there's also the other side of it that we have and we know from NWA and all these black media and movies where you know our and our real life experiences that are generally not good with police. And it's what was heartening to me is seeing so many black people who might think that. Yeah, we you know the police are bad and they treat us awful, but the best we can do is reform them because we still need the police to keep our unsafe neighborhoods safe because we live in places with you know a lot of crime and a lot of problems. And then when and you know seeing the analysis going on and pointing out that you know the police don't actually help with any of that, they kind of just will show up to our neighborhood really late, um, look around and not do anything if we get if someone breaks into our home or something like that. I remember when I was growing up, my house was broken into, and I, my mom was like, and I asked my mom, I was like, did you call the cops? And she was like, for what? <laughs> you know, for what? You know, somebody, while we were in there sleeping, you know, somebody walked in our, our home and started, you know, digging through her stuff and, and digging through our stuff. And it was very scary and terrifying, but there was absolutely no reason to call the police. Like, they're not going to do anything for you in seeing, you know, black people like, realize and accept that and realize and more more importantly is not even realizing that that we that police are bad we understand that but realizing that we have the power to get rid of them is the thing and that we and, it, and if we get rid of them we'll be okay and we can and the money that the and realizing that all the money that's spent on us actually just goes to the people who brutalize us and that money could actually be spent on building our children's future instead that those realizations i've seen those happen to people that's very 
heartening um, to see in the past few weeks. Yeah, it is heartening. And what's disheartening for me is some of the people that I thought would have more solidarity against the police and basically martial law, the the suggestion of active military coming to police things. Um, I thought some of these like libertarian people who you know were into cop watch and things back in the day would have more to say about what's going on right now. But it really does seem like they've just been way too driven down the paths of like social conservatism. And I'm not saying that, you know, a lot of libertarians weren't already like that before, but this would be a time where, where I feel like maybe 10, 15 years ago, some of them would have been talking about this, but instead it's just kind of going back to like, you know, the sort of Pat Buchanan sort of rhetoric of, of like looting is just such a scary image to some of these people that they are willing to concede and be like, yeah, we need, we basically need martial law now. Like the police, sh- it's okay that they're acting this brutal. That is sort of what they're saying, even though some of them aren't actually saying that. That is sort of what they're saying with their actions and their social media postings and what they're choosing to focus on and what they're choosing not to focus on. And, you know, a lot of these libertarians were way more focused on the lockdowns being a problem in terms of a civil liberties violation. And they didn't have much to say when the National Guard was on the streets and when tr- active military was being suggested. That was disheartening for me, but maybe. You know, maybe I shouldn't have any expectations to those people, but yeah, the libertarians. I mean, they talk about how. I mean, I mean, I just never bought. You never can trust a libertarian <laughs> in general. Like, like yeah, I mean, maybe on some issues they're good, but I think we've seen in the past few years like where all the Ron people, where did all the Ron Paul people go, and it's like they went to Trump, and they were, they're kind of fine with a certain level of authoritarianism, um, and they're not going to. I mean it. It would be beautiful to see all those Ron Paul people come from out of wherever they've been hiding and say Black Lives Matter and we need to stand against this oppressive police, yeah. you know, violence. Because this is the thing they say, this is something they say they care about when it comes to the drug war. They say in the abstract, right? They say in the ab- abstract, no, we don't believe in policing the drug war. And I mean, they don't believe in fucking like <laughs> anything but like contracts between individuals that you have to individually <laughs> enforce with one another you know i've heard them talk about that but it, but then like so what role do the police pl- play shouldn't they be the number one abolitionists because these are people who are using force against you know individual you know sovereign citizens um without you know any contract being signed and, and they're just giving this unilateral control of these people and these protesters who are just going on the streets and being told that they can't be there in these public places where they're choosing to gather. But I, I, I mean, I guess it's disappointing if you, if you had, if you just had um, teleported here from like 2008, it would see, it would probably tr- seem tremendously disappointing to see none of the libertarians uh, speaking up. But I think in the past few years, we've seen what they're, most of them are really about. No, that's unfortunate. And uh, I mean, I even seen some leftists, you know, having a problem, you know, with this, with having solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And I, and I think that some of them maybe are resistant because they, it's like they see the main people in the mainstream getting behind it. So it's like anything the mainstream is behind can't be real. You know, there's got to be something about it. Like even some of these leftists will go as far as saying it's a color revolution to like, like uh, destabilize the United States or something. And it's like, by who and 
basically what you're almost saying with that is you're saying that it's that basically the someone you know that that Donald Trump poses a threat and that you know it's I, I think it's just it's it's just a strange narrative and you know I think I just think some of these people just go too far with that um, and I, I think they make the mistake of any time the mainstream media caves on an issue or the mainstream sort of the elite ruling class caves on an issue like Black Lives Matter they just write it off and say that it's completely delegitimized. Yeah, I saw this too. Um, yeah, people saying, that, oh, well, if all the corporations are tweeting out Black Lives Matter, then that obviously means that Black Lives Matter is meaningless. It just, no, it means that their show of solidarity with Black Lives Matter is meaningless in an attempt yeah. to like save face and co-opt that. It just means, what it actually means is Black Lives Matter matter has gotten to the point where it's pop might be a threat to them and they're trying to like you know give a treat to the growling pit bull you yeah. know maybe that's not the most flattering analogy but that's what how they see it they just they they're trying to like not have people come for them um and so that's why they say black lives matter and the cat they they cat i mean they made a, pre a prior calculation to not say black lives matter right like it's not like Black Lives Matter isn't new. It's just that it's grown in power. They like was Black Lives Matter not not a threat to them before? Uh, well, I should say was did they like secretly believe in Black Lives Matter before, but just didn't want to say it? I, I, that doesn't make sense. Like, no, they don't actually believe in Black Lives Matter. They're just trying to save their own ass. Like, uh, certainly, Am that's certainly what Amazon is doing. Jeff Bezos. Uh, is doing trying to say Black Lives Matter, but that doesn't discredit the actual movement or anything behind it. I think anything, any kind of movement you see, you'll see that uh, on the left that has any value and gains any power, uh, all these same people and institutions will try to um, co-opt it or you know cover themselves in it in a way that uh, might protect them. You know, and I think most people are savvy enough to see through it yeah i think so too and i think you know we, we i think people at large need to learn how to keep a protest movement pure and real without you know acquiescing to the fact that the the, the corporations and the mainstream media and mainstream culture are on board with it and being like okay now we can sort of chill out that's a sign that actually it's that we should actually push it harder i mean that's that's what i think people need to understand is that it's not a time to sort of back down it's a time to actually push harder and it also doesn't mean that the movement itself is delegitimized i mean when a bunch of the democrats pretended like you know or, or all of a sudden regretted their iraq war vote it doesn't all of a sudden mean that the uh movement iraq. to stop the iraq war is is, <laughs> is illegitimate it's extremely important yeah. you know i mean yeah. fuck these stupid democrats were total hypocrites. I'm and, and and yeah, you should criticize them every step of the way there as they, you know, go to the house floor and and rally against Bush, you know, whatever they did, you know, when they had voted for it like 3 years earlier. Like that's fine, but like it's all of a sudden a, a illegitimate movement. So I just wish there was more solidarity. I just like to see more of it and I'd like to encourage more people to just sort of let go of these, you know, things that are hang-ups about it like if you are wanting to also defund the Pentagon and that's your most important thing, join up with the Black Lives Matter movement and start, you know, trying to bring that topic up. Like, but don't be a dick about it. 
there's ways to have this conversation in like smart and like thoughtful and helpful ways. So, and there are ways not to, is basically what I'm saying. So, but I think the co-optation aspect is very real and we do have to worry about it. We just have to fight against it and just be extremely aware of it as this, as this moves forward. And it'll actually be really interesting, Leslie, if Chase Bank keeps the Black Lives Matter banner up on their website, if in a week from now, there's another protest where like 20 police cars get overturned and set on fire. <laughs> That'll be fascinating if they can ride that out and keep having solidarity. We'll, we'll have to see about that. Um, yeah, or they're going to... <laughs> the buyer's remorse. They're, they're certainly waiting for uh, it to go too far, whatever the media can deem too far. You know, they are... They are hoping, uh, I'm sure a lot of these people are hoping that that happens and then they don't have to worry about this anymore. It's like, oh, it was good. We showed our solidarity. Then they went too far. They ran up the violence score too much. And now uh, they, they're they they're disqualified from the game and it's over and we don't have to pay attention to this anymore. Ooh, it's going to be really awkward, though, if some of them actually release press releases to explain why they re- they revoked their solidarity. <laughs> oh, my God. Like if Chase so has to release like a statement. Due to the uh, recent uh, violence in such and such city, we must. <laughs> or, I don't even know. Oh God! I, it, w- it, it would definitely. <laughs> oh, that would be so funny. It w- it would almost be worth it. It would almost be worth it having them all like the seeing them all say Black Lives Matter was bad and horrifying, but seeing them t- try and take it back would be hilarious. It would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, you're still getting shit, I see, and, I, and I'll let you go soon. I've already had you on for two hours. Um, but you're still getting shit, I see, on Twitter for for being someone who doesn't love The Watchmen and who doesn't think that it is like the most insightful racial commentary of our time. And I see you even being dunked on sometimes by like white guys. It's just so funny how you're not allowed to say anything bad about it. And I'm even seeing an article or an article circulating right now saying that it's like basically predicted everything that's going on right now. Yeah. And I don't want to be too mean to the women, woman who wrote that article because she was being you know, sincere. And when I told her, I didn't get, agree and kind of said that her article, I didn't say her article was bad, but I shared my article instead. She, she didn't respond, but she wasn't like a lot of people are like, insulting and overly defensive now i don't know if that's because she's just a better person than those other people or that this happened in the moment of black lives matter when people are trying to talk about propaganda but i am checking in with some people who you know when i covered was covering the show like were very loud and, and all white people very loud about how you know stupid and ignorant i was to suggest that the show about superhero cops who fight white supremacists was uh, propaganda to me. I, I was very interested in what they were saying about Black Lives Matter, specifically about the su- sudden push against Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a comedy show about police. That's the one show people kind of offered up and said, oh, yeah, this is you know really bad propaganda, and we probably shouldn't keep doing this. And everybody, and all these little liberal TV writers were like, yeah, that's right. That's, you know, that, that show, because they don't watch it and they don't like that show. It's a network TV show they don't care about. So it's easy to say, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Law and Order, NCIS, CSI, all these shows you don't watch, 
you know, because they're not cool or the ones that your parents watch and your aunt watch. Easy to say they're propaganda, but the show that you specifically praise the racial politics of for months over the black voices that you say you want to listen to. It's a little bit like you don't want people don't want to have that conversation about Watchmen. They don't want to have it about The Wire either, I found. But those shows, they're propaganda too. Now, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the show. But it does mean that if you're going to specifically praise the politics of the show, then you should be prepared to defend the politics of the show against criticism, especially from a black, you know, critic who has criticism, who watched the same show that you did and has specific criticisms about the politics. If no one had ever said that the politics of Watchmen were good, I would never say anything about it. But people keep saying it. So I need to keep reminding people that actually the politics are kind of bad and uh, some people are like you know i feel like more and more people are kind of like coming around to it or at least realizing that they can't have this conversation right now they can't defend the <laughs> cop show against a black critic while black while they're Every other post they make is about Black Lives Matter. That's just not a thing uh, they can no. do and get away with online. So it's been very fun. It's very nice to feel, you know, <laughs> it, it, at least it vindicated, you know, because uh, and because some people are sincerely saying uh, to me like, wow, you know, I watched a show and but I read your criti criticisms and they're actually, you know, correct. You know, I, I enjoyed the show, but this show really politically was very, very, very confused, uh, didn't said a lot but not a lot of it made sense and and i i, I just want to be clear like i don't think you know this is the most important thing at and maybe i i might even believe a little bit less than most people about the effects of propaganda but whenever you say something is propaganda and people push back that worries me it, like people who say they're liberal and even like left liberal like these are like people who if you press them they would probably say oh yeah i'm basically a socialist and they're like rabidly defending uh, the politics of this TV show written by a white guy who admits he's a white liberal who does not know anything about race. He, I mean, he says this about himself. He, If I had a conversation with Damon Lindelof, he would probably push back on me. Uh, he would probably be the white person that's pu pushed back on me the least because he admits that he didn't really know a lot about these issues. He admits that he had a, his writer, his writer's room that had a lot of black writers in it. Uh, he had to have a lot, a lot of things explained to him. There were a lot of tense conversations. Um, I have inside info that a couple of black writers quit the show because they did not like specifically the propaganda aspect of it, that they felt it was a pro cop show. Like when, you know, award winning black writers are quitting the show because they feel it's pro cop. You have to take the criticism uh, seriously, at, at least. And I, I'm not saying that, yeah, and I don't necessarily believe that these propaganda, in any one of these individual propaganda shows is the problem we need to take out and we need to cancel all of them. But except for maybe cops, cops is probably one that probably should be canceled and it was canceled, thankfully. And the live PD and, and the one with the police dogs, let's cancel that one too. Anyone with real cops, uh, maybe we can probably, uh, get rid of but i i i but my point with struggle session always is not to cancel things but to discuss things and to actually you know think about the media that we consume and what it says to us what it says about us and how we react to that i don't think that you know politics are downstream for culture i think very 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 much the opposite but it's then we that means we should examine like 
what does what uh, our culture, what is where where are our politics saying to us through culture? And uh, I think you know the Watchmen uh, was a very interesting uh, take. Uh, very, I mean, it, the politics were basically incoherent, but the reactions to it and the ne- kind of knee jerk defenses of it and its presentation of police and race even though it really was very very confused um says that you know a a lot of people uh, suggest that a lot of people in the industry and who talk about media and critique media like have a very superficial understanding of these issues and are kind of just willing to accept anything that vaguely says that racism is bad as like good politics when that's not enough saying racism bad is not enough it was even really frustrating for me to see that some of those people who are praising watchman's politics would also you know say that it was all it was way more evolved politically than the original watchman and actually oh the original watchman was problematic and even lindelof would say shit like that and that was like yeah, that was really took it over the edge for me. I mean, when, once you go in that direction, it's like in one breath he's saying Watchmen is his Bible. He could never imagine. He turned it down for years because he could never hold a candle to it. He didn't want it. It was sacrilegious to think to do anything to adapt it anyway. And then he's also saying, but then you know, Alan Moore, you know, is kind of misogynist, and there's no people of color in his his book. It's like, why are you? <laughs> yeah it's kind of like what are you actually saying here you're 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 actually making you're making yourself putting yourself on this pedestal like you're actually making it more evolved and more politically awoken when it's actually it, it it's doesn't even hold a candle to alan moore's like le- actual leftist worldview and his you know extremely radical politics that still come through watchmen to this day you know it yeah, doesn't have very much representation of people of color that is true but because the politics are so strong in it, it almost doesn't matter. It's like you don't need to have you know a ton of representation in something you know for strong political ideas to come through. I think that's proven yeah. in the Watchmen TV show is that it has a ton of representation, which yeah. is great. <laughs> but the politics, you know, and I wouldn't even like you keep you, you keep using the word confused. I almost just feel like they're just unformed. It's like yeah, it's like they didn't they had these half baked ideas that. Maybe some of them were good. Maybe maybe some of the ideas pitched in the actual writer's room were really good that were just not put into anything coherent. I mean, even narratively, story-wise, the show is an incoherent kind of a mess. Oh, yeah. It's incoherent. Like, oh, even on that first level of, like, is this a good show or not, It kind of, I, I really think it fails and the writing is really bad and confused. But and on the other level of, you know, the politics of it, I, I, it just like unformed, self-contradictory, which, you know, is, is self-contradictory writing when people are struggling through ideas, I think is okay. I think Frank Miller's The Dark Knight is kind of an example of it. Uh, now, uh, for people who may have heard of Frank Miller uh, in his post 9-11 phase when he went, you know, kind of far right and kind of lost it. He's come back from that and he wasn't always like that. But if you go back and read The Dark Knight, it has these it presents a lot of different ideas that are both on the left and the right. And it, you can tell he's a writer struggling with them. And that's OK. That's OK. Like to have ambivalence and in your writing and to write as a means to struggle with your politics. 
it's bad when your politics are just bad and confused and then you push them full bore uh, through and you're not actually thinking about it. You're just putting all your goofy ideas in it without really examining them in any way, which is what Watchmen was. And, and totally. uh, Damon Lindelof's uh, The Hunt was as well. It was the, very much the same thing. Well, it makes, um, it makes a show like The Boys, which is kind of cut from the same cloth. You know, it's a, it is kind of an homage slash ripoff in a lot of ways of some of the things that, you know, Alan Moore did in comic books a long time ago, but it actually manages to have much stronger politics that come through a lot more clearly that are like, not like a huge indictment of like corporate culture or capitalism, but it's like, it's just so much stronger than anything really in the Watchmen show by Damon Lindelof. And that's kind of just sad. Yeah. There's something at least you can hang your head on in the boys, even if like they work for the CIA, which is like blandly like, some kind of like bland like bureaucratic cop organization that's generally good um there still is like an anti-military military industrial complex uh line to the story anti you know there's there's some some stuff in it that you can really like say and like oh these people actually have something to say and they say they're saying it in a way that kind of makes sense it has something to do with the real world it's not just a fantasy and it's not just like these ha- the half-baked ideas that someone came up with in the shower. It's actually someone trying to say something. I think the, the boys show is a much, much uh, better version of the Watchmen TV show. I definitely recommend uh, people check it out. Maybe, I, I mean, some a lot of people did enjoy the show. And I get a lot of people who say they enjoyed Watchmen even though they agree with all my critiques, but those are pe- those are good people who understand that everything they watch doesn't have to have good politics. That's the other out. That's the other out. You can just say like this thing I watch. Yeah, it doesn't have good politics, but I still like it, and that's okay. Like, and then you don't like start like ye- uh, yelling at black critics for criticizing the way a TV show portrays, you know, police. Like, then you don't get in that trap. You can just say like. I like the show anyway. I like the show on the surface level, which everyone should be liking stuff. Like it should not be the the TV show. The movie should not be like your politics or your identity. You shouldn't attach yourself so much to anything that like you can't handle like legitimate um, thought out uh, critique. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I just think that once again, like most popular culture, anything that tries to really tackle politics in a really serious or or makes that the main theme of their show, I think is a total failure. The show Newsroom, for example, is just like, I, I think it's just, it, it's not going to age very well. It's going to be seen, looked back on as kind of a, what was this kind of show? Like, it just seems like, like CNN headlines or something. Like, it just, I, I just think that it, it just makes shows like Better Call Saul or shows that don't really ha- seemingly, you know, try to have a political agenda, just kind of just stand the test of time better. At least right now, I don't think we're yeah, seeing I very d- much stuff that's politically very smartly done. Yeah, if you're going to already express politics, and I don't necessarily think you need to make it the subtext, but you need to have it built into the world in the same way that's built into the real world. Like, um, even something like. Um, 
I, I haven't watched a ton of Breaking Bad, but Breaking Bad, you can make the argument, at least from what I've seen in the early seasons, I've been told that it's not, it doesn't really stay consistent on this, but that like, it's about, you know, the, you know, the disappearing of the middle class because it's a show about a guy who, you know, is his middle school teacher and he can't afford his cancer treatments because of fucking insurance and it will destroy his family if he uh, goes through with it. So he has to start dealing drugs in order to, you know, pay for his cancer treatments. That's that's kind of like and he gets it, you know, he has a friend he, that he was in a tech startup with and his friend is a fucking multimillionaire now while he ends up becoming a teacher and you see that class difference. You you have like the wife of the cop who shoplifts, you know, like you like the suburban ennui that, that like all this kind of real stuff that you can extrapolate, you can make political statements from because it's like the real world and real life, you know, just heightened. That's what that's a that's a way to have like good politics in your stuff that might not be, you know, someone explicitly you know, saying something political, you can just build it into the world and you can, and any reasonable person can look at it and say, Oh, the problem with breaking bad is capitalism. If that's the problem, that's the guy, that's the reason why that guy broke bad because he was broken by capitalism. Like you can do, you can do it that way. And I do think that ages really well, but when you do it, the Aaron Sorkin way where you actually talk about like specific news items of specific days and it's instead of it being politics, meaning the way our lives are, are organized and affected by power, and instead it's politics as in like whatever the Pot Save America guys are talking about on in, in any given week, then it becomes like really boring and dated. And even like, I think that style of polit- political talk, which is mostly what you see on CNN, MSNBC, so I think Pod Save America are the best example of that, where they talk about politics in a way completely disconnected from the real world effects on any real person. When you make a TV show about that, that's even more disconnected from the real world. And it's like, what? And what's the point of it? What's the point of like watching newsroom ever when you wouldn't even watch the news program? If it were if it were real, like you wouldn't watch that news program. That news program would be garbage yeah. in the real world. So why would you watch a fictional show about a garbage news program? <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre. I, I I remember how much praise that show used to get, and just thinking, geez, what a. And it's mess. so self serious. Just so it take it. It's so self serious about. The worst type of news, the worst type of journalism. I know like something like Spotlight, right? It's still very self-serious, but at least it's actually like local news reporters report actually, you know, tackling personally, you know, at personal risk, um, this big corruption uh, from this big, powerful institution, right? But like something like the newsroom, he's just like repeating stuff that like other people are finding out about mostly things that like don't affect, you know, regular people. It's like, uh, for some reason it just exemplifies the Washington post democracy dies in the darkness, like vibe. Yeah. Plus Keith Olbermann wearing the flag, uh, crouching down on the floor. In that photo. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dude, what, like that same energy, that? like, like, and I think even like, uh, that, like that show was on the air before all that shit happened. So it's like, just like that, I feel like it's almost like those people think that that was some kind of noble 
you know, shining beacon of like intelligent political thought. Like they, like Keith Olbermann wants to be like, uh, what's this, Jeff Daniels? Is that what his name is yeah. in the newsroom? That's his name in real <laughs> yeah. life. I think his official name is uh, Jeff Newsroom. <laughs> 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 but I, I just want to make a brief aside. I actually personally, on a personal level now, love Keith Olbermann and his shtick. I just wish he actually had good politics. If Keith Olbermann was actually a socialist, I think he, I think he would be great. But he's not. He uh, has an extremely liberal brain, like a Rachel Maddow. Um, I think they're going to get Chris Hayes eventually, and it's just uh, it's sad because these people are like good hosts and good on TV, and they gen generally seem to ge want the same things we do until we press them even a little bit. Like you could watch, you could have watched every episode of the old Keep Oberman show as a socialist and kind of nodded your head along and not really been that upset. But then once they all started getting on social media and start and the left started rising up and they had to, uh, this happened to Maddo, but not, not to Oberman, this happened to Maddo when, you know, the left left actually started getting a voice and they had to kind of push back on that. Then they kind of had to reveal themselves as actually not really being on our side. Yeah. Oberman, especially, um, he, yeah, it happened to Oberman when he was doing the GQ specials, but he had already lost his show. I think the Russia the and Trump like, stuff just really got yeah. into his brain, and he he lost it. But he was really aggressive against Bush. It, but it is interesting. Like, it, like I, I remember, I would watch Keith Oberman every night and love it. I felt so happy seeing his righteous righteous anger and fury at you know President Bush, and it was all true. It was all true. But even he has like gone back on that now with Trump, and it's just like. What did you ever really believe if you like are now going back and defending Bush when you spent like eight years railing against how horrible he was, rightfully so, every single night? I know it's it's super weird too because I and I we never got to this in our Anthrax episode, but just a fun fact about Oberman is he received a fake, uh, he received an Anthrax letter that had white powder in it that wasn't actually Anthrax. A threatening letter was sent to his home, and he called the FBI. Uh, they came out, tested the letter, told him to go to the hospital um, to get checked out. He went to the emergency room, and uh, he was actually told by the FBI not to speak about the incident until they concluded with their investigation. So a couple of days later, the New York Post, which had people like John Podhoritz and other actual Bush, like neocon friends of the Bush uh, administration writing for it at the time, uh, wrote a story called Powder Proof Spooks Keith. Someone leaked, and, and Keith Oberman said he only told like one family member and FBI agents about this incident. Someone leaked to the New York Post uh, that he was uh, a pussy and he got scared of a, of a powder poof. When in fact, someone actually did send him like a hoax anthrax letter with white powder in it. Um, so that's a really interesting incident. And, uh, you know, it almost makes me think that the Bush administration just wanted to make him look foolish and, and leak this story about him um, before he had a chance to talk about it. Um, so I don't know if anyone remembers that, but look that story up. It's, it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. And then. Then, uh, of course, he said, I probably owe George Bush an apology um, yeah. a, couple, a few years back exactly. when he went to the Buick. Oh, it's, it's super amazing. weird. Amazing. Amazing. Super weird stuff. Well, 
it was great to have you on media roots radio again leslie and uh let's um let's do this again soon let's do, oh, absolutely let's do this again in uh in july absolutely thank you so much man yeah uh great talking to you and where can people hear more of your work yeah you can just find me at um patreon.com slash struggle session um as is five dollars a month to subscribe to the bonus episodes and you get about two a week so we're giving, giving a little uh so we're giving you a big bang for your buck of course if you can't afford it just uh hit me up in the dms i think uh twitter.com slash struggle struggle sesh s-e-s-h and uh we'll uh, hook you up that's awesome leslie and yeah definitely check out struggle session it's one of the most unique podcasts out there it's not a a, a clout chasing podcast it's not a it doesn't subscribe to any of the 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 sort of the political framings that you're that you're seeing a lot these days. It's it has a very unique perspective, and uh, you guys are always really great when you talk about things that you especially don't like, because <laughs> I don't think there's enough of intelligent commentary about people hating on things. There's too much of a positive everybody kumbaya mentality these days, and yeah. uh, I think your podcast is sort of a a diamond in the rough. Um, of somewhere you can actually get intelligent critique of of some place, uh, you know, of 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 movies, TV shows, all that kind of stuff, video games as well. So check out Struggle Session. S- say hi to Jack for me, and Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I hope you and your family are well. And um, take care, Leslie. All right, thank you so much. Say hello to Abby for me. If you like the track that we use for the intro and outro music today on Media Roots Radio. The song is titled Solar Voltex Zone by Dusty Cart, also known as Brian Ellis. Now, if you aren't already aware, I have another show that I do by myself called Main Politics, and Brian Ellis was kind enough to provide a free download link to his entire EP, Dusty Cart, to anybody who becomes a Patreon subscriber of mine at patreon.com slash Martin. In addition to that, um, we announced last month that Media Roots Radio will now be putting out one exclusive bonus episode per month for patron subscribers only. If you donate $5 a month or per creation, um, you will get access to that bonus episode every month. Now, some people have been slightly confused about the per creation per month difference. Um, Most Patreons have it as per month. We have it set for per creation. But in actuality, you can use it the same way that you subscribe to somebody per month, meaning that you can set your cap, your maximum donation amount, to the amount that you only want to donate per month. So when you donate per creation, it will cap off at the amount that you set it as the ceiling. So if that didn't make sense, let me explain again. If you donate per creation, say $5 per creation, and you set your maximum cap at $5, for that whole month, you're essentially donating to us $5 a month. If anybody has any further questions about it, I would be happy to answer it through the Patreon page. So feel free to go there at patreon.com slash media roots radio. And I'll answer any questions you have. Thank you so much for listening guys. And we really couldn't do this without your support. And we're extremely thankful. And Also, if you'd like to get access to the bonus episode and you can't afford it right now because we know people are going through a lot of financial hardship, please also reach out to me directly and I will give you a link to that. So thank you very much. Take care out there, everybody.